When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is the Decibel Podcast with Chris Sinzak and Aaron thinking of we are the decibel geek podcast coming back at you once again with the quarantine sessions what is this 14 holy moly my name is aaron camaro joined as always through the power of skype it's chris sinzak what's going on brother i'm much how you doing hopefully i sound a little better this week got a new microphone for father's day yeehaw that's awesome it sounds good to me i hope it turns out great in the end i know it's been a little sketchy with the audio since we've been doing these uh quarantine sessions but i work hard to do the edit and make sure everything sounds great but i think you're coming through loud and clear cool yeah hopefully it's an upgrade because it definitely costs more than the last piece of shit mike i was using well so far so good you know what i got for my father's day present what the latest super sucker cd i'm so happy with Ooh. it is it good? Yeah, it's real good. What an awesome gift. I love it a lot. See, that's the Your cool thing. Your wife knows how to shop for you. I was going to say, that's the cool thing about being a rock and roller. You're easy to shop for, you know? Most of our listeners can probably relate to that. You hand them something cool, rock and roll, an album, a CD, a poster, a whatever, you know? And nine times out of ten, you're like, that's awesome. We're so easy to buy for. Yeah, although that Nickelback CD I got for my last birthday was kind of a disappointment. <laughs> I'd be interested to know who got that for you. Somebody that apparently has got a problem with you. I'll just, it's a family member and their name will be withheld, but it came with love. But it's a rock band. You like them, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story kind of like that. When I was a little kid, I guess not a little kid, I was a teenager. I don't know. I was, yeah, I was in high school. And my grandmother had gone to Mexico with my grandfather and their two best friends, and they did the whole cruise and, you know, all that stuff. And she came back, and she was like, I found you a band shirt. And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, it's running through my mind. What could it be? It could be this. It could be that. Oh, man, I hope it's Kiss or Ozzy, you know. And she gives it to me. New kids on the block. Oh. One of my favorite stories. 
Thanks, Grandma. (laughs) (laughs) She's got the right stuff. Come on. Yeah, well, her heart was in the right place. I remember another time, too, she had some kind of soap, and it was called Poison, and she was like, you like that band, don't you? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that was their soap. My grandma was so awesome. It's funny you mentioned that, because last week I saw that Rachel Bolin from Skid Row launched his own line of soap. Oh, nice. There you go. I'll have to pick (laughs) me up some of that in memory of my grandmother. She would be so proud. Well, we're doing the quarantine sessions once again. You know how this goes. We take our listener questions. We answer as many as we possibly can. And we always do it while having a special awesome guest. And today is no different. But before we get into all these awesome questions that have been submitted to us, we got to take a break to take care of our business. And our business is iTunes reviews, Podchaser reviews, Facebook recommendations. It's our favorite thing, in case you didn't know. And we love them a lot. We've got one right here. It is a Apple Podcast review. Wow, this one's from France. And it's all five stars. Decibel Geek remains one of the best, if not the best, hard-rocking podcast out there. You get amazing interviews, in-depth analysis of albums, and much, much more. Not just a podcast living in the past, they also talk about new acts, which is a definite plus. As a Loan in his early 40s living in France, Decibel Geek also transports me back to the U.S. for the length of the podcast. I've really been digging the quarantine sessions Keep it up, guys, and cheers. That comes to us from Zaviki Nix via Apple Podcast from, like I said, France. I guess Loan, that must be uh, a foreigner in France, right? Is that how that works? I don't know. That's pretty cool that he took time to listen to our show because he does, after all, live where the naked ladies dance. Oh, yeah. And if I learn anything yeah. from Guar, it is when you are from France, you pull down your pants. <laughs> so... Pull up your pants, and thanks for that awesome review. That was kick-ass. If you guys want to leave us a review and hear it right on the show, because that's how we like to show our appreciation, you go ahead. Any one of those three routes right there is the perfect way to do it. And you know what? We'll shout you out on the show for it because we appreciate it so much. And you know who else we appreciate? Our Geeks of the Week. Yeah, Geeks of the Week this week are Eric Senzak. That's my brother. Paul Smith, Mike Parnell, Lee McCormick, Matt Ashcraft, Keith Rockford, Grayson Gallegos, Wayne Cross, Rock and Ron Runyon, Jason Blusky, Scott Crouch, Shay Hargett, Bill Elam, Jeffrey Mendenhall, Greg Troyan, Mikhail Burrell, Simon Cat, David Glenn, Andrew Jacobs, Ray Kuhn, Jeff Taylor, Hakon Bergstad, JJ Mack, David Cathy, Ernesto Aguiar, Jared Norlander, Anxiety Descending. What a name. Wow. Eladio, Craig Turdich, Deadly Romantics, Coxie. Body of the Soul JJP, and as always, together, the, the Mooger Fooger. Yeah, we can even do it when we're quarantined from each other. Wow, some cool names in the list this week. Anxiety Descending, Body of yeah. the Soul, Deadly Romantics. That's cool. Yeah, Deadly Romantics is a band that contacted us. I think they're going to send us some stuff. Oh, right on. You know, we're yeah. as we're doing right now, we're always looking for unsigned kick-ass rock bands that we can help promote on the show because i mean we've got the platform you've got the rock and roll send it to us if we dig it we'll play it well aaron you want to uh introduce this week's special guest well we are honored to have today as our guest we've got a awesome guest today he's a good friend of both of ours he's been on the show before Many of you may know him as the lead vocalist of Thrash or Die, 
aka Dr. Fuck. Other of you may know him as a pretty much legendary podcaster or the curator of Vieira's Vault. Without further ado, making his return to the Decibel Geek Podcast, our friend and yours, the one and only Ralph Vieira. What's going on, brother? Shmagamagab. Ha <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on, guys? Glad to be back, man. And the doctor is uh, back straight from the hospital. You doing okay these days? Yeah, man. I had one of those abscess. Anybody can get them. Yeah. And, you know, my face got puffy. It was two Sundays ago. Then Monday it went down a lot, like 80%. I was like, eh. And then Tuesday came back. Then Wednesday it got, like, really bad. So I called the hospital, called the emergency, and they, they said, no, we're going to turn you away. you got to come tomorrow at appointment because of this COVID shit, you know? Wow. Yeah. So waiting the next day got, like, so much worse. It reached my lip and my throat and... And, you know, and when I got there, they said, all right, we're going to d- drain it out. And then tomorrow you're going to have to get a tooth pulled. You'll come back tomorrow to the dentist tomorrow, get your tooth pulled. I go, okay. And then when they did that, my all my, my vitals, my pressure went sky high. So I had to stay in the hospital. Oh, damn. And, yeah, that's why I had to stay in the hospital. I had nothing to do with the assets. It had to do with my blood pressure and stuff. And um, then the next day they said, you know, you're going to have to stay for seven days. I'm like, you know, normally... It's, it's a drag. You're in the hospital. It's like, I don't want to be here, but let me tell you something. Because of this whole quarantine shit, it was a great ch- change of scenery, man. <laughs> I, I dug the bed. You know, I can recline up, down. I was watching all these TV shows because I never watched TV. Well, well, you know, catching up, you know, to show you how long I haven't watched TV, I discovered th- Three Men and a Boy. What was the name of that show with Charlie Sheehan? Three and a Half Men. Oh, Three and a Half Men and a Boy. <laughs> that. that, that, that that's an illegal porn. Yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, man, was that show funny? I don't know if it was because of, uh, you know, all the drugs they had me pumped in, but I was cracking up watching that damn show. That's awesome. And, uh, and I had a good time. But the thing is, like, a miracle happened overnight. Like, all, all you know, my blood pressure went down, and they, they tested me for, like, you know, 10 more hours, 12 more hours. And I said, shit, you can go home. So I only spent uh, three days in the hospital. I was supposed to be there seven, so... But, you know, I still was not in the greatest shape. They gave me a lot of medication. I've been being a good boy all week. And they told me till Saturday, which we're recording this on Saturday, don't do anything. So, And, and oddly enough, today is the day I feel finally 100%. You know, and it's like, perfect. You know, it's just like, you know, I t- I've been taking a lot of pills, antibiotics and stuff. And, and being good. You know, sitting out in the sun for 10 minutes, watching, you know, laying down, watching Netflix. And I feel awesome, man. I feel great. And it's always... It always feels more awesome when you get over something that, you know, you're unhealthy. And all of a sudden you feel 100%. It makes you feel even better. You know what I'm saying? Right. Right. So, yeah, I feel fantastic, man. And I'm glad. And I'm glad. And, you know, Chris hit me up. And I was like, at first I was like, "Uh, I don't know, dude. And then you said Saturday. I was like, oh, doctor said it should be fine by Saturday. So, yeah, let's do it, man. So here I am. Awesome. Doctor said no podcasting with them decibel geek guys until at least Saturday. Yeah, well, the doctor told me uh, freeform rock podcast don't go on there for another year. <laughs> was Just the doctor Mark? <laughs> was the doctor Rock and Ron Runyon? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. It wasn't him. Yeah, <laughs> too funny. Man, abscess teeth are the worst. Man, that's terrible. I had mine. I had one that the worst one I ever had 
we were about to get on a plane to L.A. We were going to go hang out with Moose Orikinto, the original Kiss roadie, and do all these awesome things in Los Angeles. I was going to take my wife and show her all kinds of cool stuff. And it happened to me the day before I left. And they said, well, there ain't nothing we can do now until you get back. So here's some dope to keep you, you know, sane while you're going on your vacation. And uh, (laughs) enjoy the plane flight. And, man, they weren't joking. The pressure on that plane was insane. It hurt so bad. But I did. I took my wife and I gritted through it. I smiled the whole time. I hung out with Moose even though I was in miserable pain. And the second to the last day before we left, I was laying down with a cold bottle of wine on my jaw where my tooth hurt so bad and the infection finally broke. And I was like, ugh, and I ran and spit it all out and I felt great after that. Oh, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You know what's funny about mine was when my face got puffy, my mom's like, that's a tooth. I was like, it's It's impossible. My teeth don't hurt, and it's only puffy on my face, not inside my mouth. And I was thinking I had either the mumps or some gland shit. And then when I got to the hospital, they said it's a tooth. And I was like, man. And the doctor said, not all the time your tooth is going to hurt. It's rare, but abscess doesn't, you know, bring toothaches all the time. So, And then my mom was like, I told you, so I was like, listen to your mom. <laughs> and she was right. I never knew that. Yeah, yeah, not not always. Uh, you're gonna get like uh, abscess where your tooth actually hurts. It is rare, though. The doctor told me it's not usual, but it does happen. And you got to think about uh-huh. them roots. You know, they run way up into your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and and they told me I was lucky. I came in when I did because you know it could have choked me. It could have went to my heart. And I said, well, yeah. you know, if you would have accepted me yesterday, <laughs> you know. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's like the one case where. COVID kills somebody for not having it, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I'll tell you this, the worst part, the worst part of my hospital stay, the most painful shit I ever went, went through, ever, had nothing to do with my condition. They gave me the COVID test. They stick a, a, a stick up your nose and it literally touches your brain. Ugh. It hurts so fucking bad. You know, that was the worst part of the hospital. Something like that I didn't even go in for, you know? I guess I give it to everybody by default right now. Yeah, you know, because, you know, you're going to stay. They gave me it when they knew I had to stay in the hospital. And luckily, they gave me a room with nobody, you know. That's good. So I still was freaking out in there going, man, I hope I don't get this COVID bullshit. (laughs) But I'm good. Right on. Well, the timing is perfect because we're happy to have you back on the show with us. You're a good friend of ours, man. We haven't seen you in a couple of years now, so we're missing you this year, Rockin' Pod, and hopefully next year we can. But you know what? The consolation is we've got a ton of really great questions from our listeners this week. And if we don't get to this, it's going to be a three-hour episode. Let let me ask you guys a question. If I can go through these questions really, really quick, can can we play a game? Yes. Or, or there's not room. Oh, good, good. I'll go through them quick because okay. I, I want to challenge Chris. I know Chris is uh, undefeated because Ron technically didn't count. He knew the answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, he no, I've a, lost a few he, times. Yeah, he's not, oh, un, he he's not oh, undefeated. I heard you, you've won all of them. And I know he's on a hell great of a Andrew, uh, I can't pronounce his last name. He's a great guy. The guy that did those Kiss documentaries. Yeah. Uh, spaghetti. Uh, yeah, you didn't, have, you, you didn't have time to do the questions for, with him. Right. Uh, but you know, that's why I was like, Oh, I want I want to play the game. So I'm going to answer these questions quick. And I do, I do have all the questions in front of me. <laughs> okay. Was I supposed to say that? Oh, no, 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 the, no not no, those no. questions. Okay. <laughs> no, nah, we're just fucking with you, Chris. <laughs> 
We'll play Nothing it straight. Would shock but hey, me at this point, I'll tell you this: I've definitely got, I definitely got eleven awesome questions lined up, and we will certainly be playing Beat the Geek whenever we get finished through this list of questions. So, if you guys are ready for it, I'll start rattling them off. Go for it. All right, these first couple come from Instagram, and the first one comes from Stick Stickman Seventy. If Kiss never self-produced any of their albums, who would you have produced those records? For example, he chooses uh, to go with Mutt Lang for Animal Eyes, Michael Wagner for Asylum, Bruce Fairbairn for Hot in the Shade, and Eddie Kramer for Sonic Boom and Monster. I think those are awesome. Yeah. Hard to argue with those choices. I especially love Michael Wagner for Asylum. I think that would be... That would be perfect. That's uh, the one that really jumped out at me. It was like, wow, that would have been so good. I was actually listening to a Bob Ezrin interview earlier today, and he, had, uh, Eddie Trunk was interviewing him, asking him about um, Jack Douglas working for him. And I guess Jack Douglas initially was in talks to produce Destroyer. Um, I would love to hear in the 70s Jack Douglas's spin on some of Kiss's material, so that would have been kind of cool. Yeah. Funny enough, I heard that same interview today. And Bob shocked me. He said, man, I went back and listened to some of the Elder, and man, some of it's really good. Yeah, Bob's still on drugs. (laughs) (laughs) You don't like the Elder? How about you, Aaron? I like it. Most of it. Some of it, I guess. I don't know. I I just don't like Odyssey. I love the rest. Ugh, hate it. (laughs) Well, then again, I mean, you have the superior mind. You know, you like Crazy Nights. What do I know? (laughs) Crazy Nights rules, man. That's right. I told you on that episode. (laughs) Boy, did yeah, I take I'm a done. beating on that one. <laughs> See, now, isn't that the ultimate pole kiss question? You know, choose one, music from the elder or crazy nights. I wonder how that would line up. It's easy. Uh, easy, easy for, for you. Oh, fuck. I bet you anything elder would win. I mean, in the online community. It probably would. I think it, so, too. Yeah, no, I think it the, would. Who would you have produced kiss, Ralph? Uh, Jack Douglas would be great on the first three. I mean... The right answer really is, um, God damn it, now I can't remember his name. The guy did Rock and Roll Over. Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer. Yeah, Eddie Kramer would be the perfect choice. But, you know, uh, if not, Jack Douglas for the early kiss. Yeah, I'd love to hear what Tom Warman could have done with uh, some 70s kiss like uh, like Love Gun. I would love yeah. to hear. And Dynasty. Um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, like if he threw in some of those bells and whistles he did on Heaven Tonight and stuff like that. Or Dream, Dream Police. I would like to hear like some of that stuff. Or uh, I would love to hear Tom Warman do The Elder, actually. That would have been fucking awesome. Because he does use a lot of orchestras and all that shit. So it, it would have been interesting, man. Um, who else? Um, I, I think Bo, Bo Hill could have done some of the 80s stuff. Oh, Bo, that's the guy from Rat, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what about amazing, They didn't use him. What about Bob Rock? Bob Rock... Um, you know, for that drum sound. I mean, but nobody can top what Michael James Jackson did on Creatures. Right. No. You know, but they should have kept that drum sound on Lick It Up, I think. Yeah. But I remember hearing an interview where they asked Gene, why didn't they use the same drum sound? And he said, well, because Creatures didn't sell. And that's <laughs> why, that's why they, they kind of neutered. Even though Lick It Up, I think, sounds great. But, you know, Creatures uh, of the Night didn't sell, and it was all Eric Carr's awesome drumming's fault. Yeah, 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 exactly. It wasn't Gene's fault. Yeah. Yeah. Or Jimmy Hayslip's bass playing. I mean, Gene. I don't know. Another one that Stickman's got on here that really jumps out to me, besides the uh, Michael (gasps) Wagner on Asylum, is 
Eddie Kramer on Sonic Boom and Monster. I mean, do you think if that was the case, people would receive these albums differently, or do you think it really doesn't matter who produced? No, it, it don't matter because uh, people have this um, this hard on for Scab Kiss, you know, Eric and hey, look, I'm guilty of it too. But I love Monster. I love that damn album. I really do. And uh, and I get a lot of shit for it because I'm known as the guy that doesn't like you know the guys in the makeup, which I don't. But it, there's a difference from music and makeup. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. It's like, yeah. You know, but but people are just so fixated. I'm not going to name the person's name, but there's one person <laughs> that's known as a scab cusader that admitted to me that he liked Monster, but he can't tell nobody. Well, that's that's cool. not cool. Oh. Yeah, but but. Um, I'm, I, I've said this a million times, and I'll, and I'll make it very brief. I am the worst person that notices bad production. I don't know. I hear people, oh, the, the mix is too low, the vocal. I don't notice none of that. The only album I can notice it is Hotter Than Hell, which I still love because it sounds like it's recorded in a tunnel, but I still love it. <laughs> yeah. and, and Blizzard of Oz, I can tell a big difference between Blizzard and Diary, but I still love the production. So bad yeah. production doesn't uh, – because I've heard a lot of shit about – Sonic Boom and Monster because of Paul Stanley like fucked it up, but I don't hear it. You know, I think it sounds fine to me. But I'm the worst person when it comes to production. But in a way, it's kind of a blessing too. You know, because hey, I get to enjoy an album without being biased. Because you know, I can tell if the mix is this and that. You know what I'm saying? Right on. Yeah, I can. So it's good it. to be retarded sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a handicap unless you let it be. Exactly. All right, that's a really good question. Yeah, here's another one. This one comes from J Rucker Ten. In your opinion, what is the best cheap trick album? Oh, easily you know, the do- the Doctor, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, oddly enough, that's not my least favorite one. Oh, that's my, mine. my least favorite <laughs> is one that's loved by a lot. Uh, Standing on the Edge. I don't like that album. Oh, I like that record. I don't. I don't like the Doctor that much, but I I I I just like Standing on the Edge more. I would say, man, it fluctuates between the first album and Dream Police a lot. Uh, yeah. As of now, I'd say the first album, but sometimes it's Dream Police. But those two in the middle are just great mm-hmm. as well. You know, I love In Color and Heaven Tonight. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I prefer the Budokan versions. I don't, man. I mean, I love the Budokan versions, but I love those studio albums, ex- with the exception, of course, of I Want You to Want Me. That's complete crap. Oh, yeah. On yeah. Color, you know, but, but, um, the first album. I would say the first album now, but it could be Dream Police tomorrow. Yeah, well, I'm going to kind of tail on that because I thought I pulled down the <clears throat> I pulled out the CDs because I got them all from the early days. And, uh, you know, because that's my favorite Cheap's Trick stuff. And I looked at them all as like really looking at the songs and everything. And I, I just barely had to go with Dream Police. But I love them all. I really do. It was kind of a hard choice, but I just went by... You know, Dream Police is pretty much a perfect album. There's not a bad song on the whole thing. And some of the other albums have spots where they're a little bit weaker. You know, different yeah. songs that aren't quite as good as the rest, but Dream Police is a perfect album. It is. I'll, I mean, every, it has a lot of bells and whistles, but it works. I'll make it a hat trick is Dream Police, because I mean, it's the one I go back to. I, I'm not a giant Cheap Trick fan, but... For the albums that I go to, that's the one I go to the most. Oh, my condolences. Yeah. <laughs> should get that yeah, You at. and Ken Mills giving me shit for not liking Cheap Trick. I, I like them. I just don't love them. No, I don't. I, I ain't going to give you no shit. <laughs> that's cool. All right. I love you and you love Crazy Nights. That shows you how cool I am. I know. <laughs> we can get past our differences. We still right? accept you. 
<laughs> All right, this one comes from Modern Day Warrior 2112. Rank your favorite Rat albums from the classic lineup. Uh, he lists his uh, as uh, number one, Out of the Cellar, number two, The Rat EP, number three, Invasion of Your Privacy, number four, <clears throat> Dancing Undercover, number five, Reach for the Sky, and finally, number six, Detonator. All right, we're not we're not including the Festation, right? No, I guess I not. Just like the first ones. I don't know. I pretty much put them in. I don't really know the Rat EP. I just know the main albums. And Out of the Cellar is definitely number one. The first one is the best one, I think. And then it just kind of goes in line as it goes. Like they got, they started out the best and never were able to quite catch it ever since. But I don't know. That last album that came out, if we were going to include that, The Infestation, that one would beat out some of their later albums, I think, like Detonator, Reach for the Sky, maybe even Dancing Undercover. But, uh, yeah, Out of the Cellar, number one for me, for sure. I, I mirror that. I mirror that whole countdown you just did. I mean, I feel like that EP and the first album are just killer, no filler. And then after that was good songs. I love You're in Love, Lay It Down, uh, uh, Slip of the Lip, Body Talk. That, that good songs, but it was... It was just there was an infestation of filler on those albums. Yes, you know, and yeah, recent sky and detonator was like I don't even remember. I liked anything off that, and it was very long. I remember. There's some good stuff on detonator. I I love detonator. (laughs) I think it's great. Wow, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. Yeah, you're being a sarcastic (laughs) there. Um, I don't think it's the best thing they did, but it's probably the one I go back to the most. I don't know. I love Desmond Child. I love a lot of the stuff he did for other bands. So, And I still think Giving Yourself Away is a great power ballad. Now go ahead and throw the tomatoes. I don't care. Eh, as far as power ballads go from bands of that era, it actually is pretty good. Yeah. Um, Even though Steven cannot sing a power ballad to save his life. Yeah. Neither can I. <laughs> <laughs> This is the next song from Thrash or Die. It goes out to you, Sheila. Yeah. <laughs> Sheila, I love you so. <laughs> now suck these nuts. Yeah. I want to make love to your mouth violently. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps it up for the Instagram. Let's roll into the Twitter. Starting it off with our good friend Ray Coon. From the band Dawn of the Rising. You know what? I was just listening to that EP again yesterday. It's damn good. If you guys haven't checked that out yet, do it. And if you didn't see the video that they came out with not too long ago, Ray's actually wearing a Decibel Geek t-shirt in their official music video, which I find to be badass. It's beautiful. That's awesome. I need a link to that. I want one. You got to check out this band if you haven't heard them before. They're freaking awesome. Well, I'm talking about the t-shirt, but I'll check out the band too. Yeah, right we're, uh, well, go ahead and, and plug uh, Click T Shop because they're now handling all of our merchandise. That's right. right Click T Shop's where it's at. If you want to be cool like Ralph and wear a Decibel Geek t shirt, that's where you can get yours at, too. Ray Coon says, Hey guys, hope all is well. Do you guys think Rush will ever play again without Neil Pert or like maybe with Mark, with Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater? Maybe. I know he's probably the only one who's close enough to be qualified and skill levels there. What do you guys think? you think Rush will ever do it again? And if they did, who would play drums? I hope they don't. They, don't they won't. Rush is like, you know, talk about the most band with the most integrity. You know, Rush, I mean, look, they lost me in the 80s, but I still respected it because 
they're a band that are like, look, whether you like it or not, we're going to do what we want, you know. And I, I, they lost me after, you know, with Power Windows and stuff. But those albums, they loved, and they loved doing it. And they ended it when they said they were going to end it. I honestly believe if Neil would not have passed away, they would have stayed retired. Yeah. And uh, I doubt with a passion they would ever reform. And if they do, it'll probably be like a tribute to Neil or something like that. But as far as like being a touring entity, no, I doubt it. I, doubt, I, I seriously it doubt it. Rush is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so they wouldn't have no reason to play live for something like that because they're already in it. But I, I heard an interview recently with Alex. He hasn't picked up the guitar since Neil passed away. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. And they're not young, you know, so who knows if they're ever, ever going to do anything ever again. It would have to be I'm something so, special. I'm just mm-hmm. so glad I got to finally see them live before they hung it up. Yeah, I saw them several times, man, and they were always exceptional live. I miss Clockwork, Clockwork Angels is still my favorite Rush record. Wow, that's really cool because I love that album. I yeah, think it's, it's a great ass. way to end. The Garden is what an amazing oh, song man. to end their career with, you know? Yeah, Beautiful. incredible. Beautiful. Yeah, I love that album. That's a great album. All right, Ray Coon's got one more question, if it's cool, and it is. Do you think K.K. Downing will ever play with Judas Priest again? No diss on Andy Sneap. He is awesome. Just a longtime fan, and I want to see it happen. That one, I think oh, you got way more a chance of seeing one day than you do of Rush playing again. I well, think it'll yeah. happen eventually. I, I agree there, but man, the thing is that you know, have you read his book? Yeah, he he wasn't so nice to the manager. You know, managers pull strings. So if he ever does uh, rejoin uh, Priest, boy, man, she's gonna have to suck it up, you know, because you know it's it's quite obvious, you know, if you keep up with Priest, she's the one that pulls the strings in that band. You know, it's yeah. kind of like the Sharon Osbourne thing. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. So she'd have that's to. Gl- she'd have to say yes. You know, that's Glenn Hughes's wife, right? Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean Jane... Glenn, Glenn Tipton's wife. Or guy like Glenn. oh, <laughs> Glenn Tipton. <laughs> totally Glenn different. Tipton. Duh. I was gonna be like, wow, what a small it's, world. <laughs> it's it's the beer talking. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Uh, Coxie wants us to send Ralph his best wishes after his health scare and hopes you get better soon. And guess what, Coxie? Your wish has come true because Dr. Fuck is in the house and he's feeling great. Thank you so much, Coxie. I really appreciate that. All right, here's one from Hakan Bergstad. Summer vacation time and I'm going on a road trip. What I want is good suggestions for hard rock songs to put on my playlist. I've got Deep Purple, I've got Led Zeppelin, Kiss, and Steely Dan covered, but I need more cool songs to make my drive through the Norwegian countryside more rocking. So what do you think? you got Deep Purple, you got Zeppelin, Kiss, and Steely Dan. What else does he need? What other bands does he need in there? Black Sabbath. I was going to say, yeah. obviously, the first one that comes to my mind also, yeah, Black Sabbath, definitely. I'll I'll go a little newer. I'll say some uh, hardcore superstar and my favorite band out of England called Massive Wagons. Listen to either of those. Well, yes, yeah, for that for, doesn't really fit the playlist, though. He said classic. Well, they they sound classic. Yeah, I guess. So. All right, that works. Uh, Stained Class by Judas Priest. How about that? I'd say yeah, some. Oh early. yeah, Priest. Seventies Priest is another must. Yeah, some yeah. early Priest. I was going to say the first couple Iron Maiden albums with Diano. Would fit yeah, in there. Bond, Scott, ACDC. Shit, yeah. There you go. Yep. Now you're rocking through the Norwegian countryside. No problem. You're welcome. Speaking All of which, right. I, I taught myself how to play Hell Ain't a Bad Place to Be recently. It was so fun to play. 
Right on. Love that song. Hell yeah. All right. Now we're going to roll on to the Facebook questions, and they are a plenty. And it starts out. I say it starts out because this may be the first of many because Matt Weller's dick has got an inquisitive mind and he wants to know many a thing. And I'm sure we're going to answer many of his questions today. These are hard questions, man. We're going to start with this one. You have to replace one original member of Black Sabbath with one original member of Motley Crue. Which members do you swap? That is crazy. That's insane because, you know, to me, like the greatest drummer ever is Bill Ward, and to me, the most talented guy in Motley Crue would be Tommy Lee. Um, so, God, it, it would be horrible, but it would be the one that makes the most sense to me. But I wouldn't like that to happen. But shit, you know, I mean, what can you do? I ain't gonna replace Tony Iommi with Mick Mars. Come on, you know, nothing <laughs> against Mick Mars, but Tony Iommi is Black Sabbath. You know, right. What I mean? Yeah, see, that's, that makes it impossible. Can you imagine for just a moment Vince Neil transported in time as the lead singer of Black Sabbath? No. You know what's even more mind-blowing? Nikki Six as Geezer Butler. No. No. <laughs> Ouch. Can't do it. Impossible question. All right, here's one. It's from Greg Van Voris. He's got a couple of questions. One, did you ever buy a rock band t-shirt from Metal Edge or any other magazine? And did it live up to your expectations? He's saying he bought a Poison t-shirt and it was shit. The logo was dark (laughs) green. The band pick looked like it was printed on a dot matrix printer. I never tried to buy another one. You guys ever ordered t-shirts back in the day out of Metal Edge? Not Not from magazines. No, I never did. I uh, I don't think I ever bought a T-shirt other than concerts till I started to get online. But all the, all the T-shirts I bought before the internet was uh, concerts. I'd buy them at concerts, and you know, I, I, I like you know at record stores, specs and stuff. Right. I probably yeah. bought a shirt here and there. You know? But I never a, ordered a shirt before the internet online. We used to have a place in Wisconsin in a city called Stevens Point called Hat City. And it had all kinds of different rock T-shirts on. And looking back on it now, I'm pretty sure they were all bootlegs. But that was the place to go because, I mean, they had just a massive selection of all these different bands and all different sizes. And every year they'd set up a tent at a thing called Riverfest. And I'd go in there and look at the Kiss T-shirts and the Ace Fraley T-shirts and just all. I'd spend the whole day in there. My brother would be out on the rides and playing games, and I'd be in that tent just looking at all the different band T-shirts. And otherwise, you'd have to wait for him to show up at Pomida. I got a warrant T-shirt, Blood, Sweat, and Beers tour at a Pomida <laughs> in Merrill, Wisconsin. But I never ordered one out of a magazine. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah. I remember uh, in 1980, I bought uh, Black Sabbath Live at Last because you couldn't buy that in a store. And I bought that on, through a magazine, and it took six months for it to arrive to my oh, house. wow. I thought I got ripped off when it came. Six, I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, oh, my God. You know, I forgot. How, it's been like almost like half a year. Wow. You know, but that's that's I think that's the only thing I ever bought off of a magazine. Oh, and a bootleg um, uh, VHS, uh, a Born Again tour. That well, was he, you just didn't know that Vinnie Vincent was in charge of their shipping department. <laughs> no, it, he wasn't because I got it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about back before the internet. That's even back before tracking numbers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, true. 
All right, and Greg says, question number two, have you ever heard of the band Cats in Boots? I got lost down a wormhole that included them and Dirty Looks this week on YouTube. So I looked up their album on Spotify, which has two copies of the same album, and I couldn't listen through it because of the production. Some songs super loud, some songs super quiet, some muffled. Your thoughts? I guess Greg I, doesn't listen to the show. <laughs> we love Cats. I vaguely remember the name. I love uh, Cats and Boots. They're an awesome yeah. band, and I I think I've got the solution to the problem here because I actually know Cats and Boots is a great band. I've got the CD kicked and clawed right here on my shelf, and it's one of my favorites. I think it's one of them bands that had they come out a year or two before when they actually did, they probably would have been way bigger than they were. But, you know, as far as good hard rock bands from the – early 90s that were coming up trying to come up in the wrong time these guys were really really good but they have a debut album that's called kicked and clawed and there's nothing wrong with the production on that it sounds fantastic as a matter of fact toby wright i believe mixed the album if i'm not mistaken and we all know toby wright's gone on to great things i think what you might have is the demonstration coast to coast album no no demonstration East Meets West is what it's called. And that is the demo versions of the songs that end up on that first album. And I think a couple of extra songs that didn't make it on the album. So I'm willing to bet, because both the covers look almost identical, I bet you downloaded the demo version. And sadly, I think that's the only Cats and Boots album there is, other than that demo version of that. So check out the other one. It's called Kicked and Clawed. It sounds fantastic. The songs are all really good. That one really doesn't have a stinker on it either, and it's a band really nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, we have them. Did they have a music video? Because I, I, I think they played a Headbangers Ball. I could be wrong though. I'm sure they did because that that had to have been where I heard about them. Because I don't know who the hell else would have turned me on to Cats and Boots if it wasn't Headbangers Ball. I think the song, if I remember right, was called Shotgun Sally. I think that was the single. I didn't know about them until you spun them on the show like a year ago. Yep. They're pretty great, but that's yep. I think we, they came up on the uh, way, way, way back when we did the One and Done episode. Great bands yep. that only came out with one album. I'm certain they had to make my list. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Hopefully that solves the Cats and Boots problem. I recommend <laughs> that album to anybody that loves hard rock music. Al Horta, man, this dude's been giving us a ton of great questions, and it looks like he's got a few for us here today. Uh, definitely more than three. Who are your top three KISS producers? For him, number one, Michael James Jackson. From the four new songs on Killers, Creatures of the Night, and Lick It Up, he's got such a killer sound. Definitely the best drum sound on any KISS album ever. Eric Carr just sounds thunderous. In number two, he's got Eddie Kramer, the Alive albums, Rock and Roll Over, Love Gun, and Ace's album, enough said. And number three, Bob Ezrin, he brought the best musicianship out of the band, Destroyer, The Elder, and Revenge. What do you guys think? Where, how do you rank those producers as far as Kiss albums go? I think he nailed it. I would I would pick exactly what he picked in that order. Uh, Eddie Kramer would be my favorite one. You know, Kiss yeah. Alive, the Ace album, or my and Rock and Roll Over, those are my three favorite. Kiss albums. I love what Michael James Jackson did, and and, and I love um, I, I love Bob Ezrin too. So I guess those will be my three picks because I can't I don't remember who else other than Paul Stanley that produced their other albums. Vinnie Pontius. Yeah, nobody's talking about Vinnie Pontius' production work. <laughs> he he wasn't he didn't make the top three. 
but definitely Eddie Kramer would be my favorite one. And those demos, you know, I mean, I love yeah. those demos yeah, more than yeah, yeah. what ended up on the first three albums. You know? Yeah, and that's cool. That's something that maybe a lot of people don't know about. But the uh, the demo versions of the songs before the first album, the Eddie, the sessions done with Eddie Kramer at the Electric Lady Studios. Those are freaking awesome. I almost prefer the demo versions to what ends up on the first Kiss album. So if you can get online and check those out and you've never heard them before, I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, they're awesome. I got to agree with Ralph. I'm going to go Eddie Kramer, number one, Michael James Jackson, number two, Bob Ezrin, number three, and we don't talk about Vinnie Poncia. <laughs> and I love Dynasty, though. I'm not I do, too. So I don't like Unmasked, but I love Dynasty. I always think about Unmasked went too far. Dynasty was just kind of teetering on the edge of it. it still rocked. All right. Oh, yeah. Which hair band do you think weathered the storm the best going into the 90s? He would say Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, and Bon Jovi, although some would say GNR and Van Halen aren't hair bands. I mean, Guns N' Roses, mm. Van Halen, and Bon Jovi did survive it pretty good. I mean, who else really did? Mm. Def Leppard did pretty well. Yeah, yeah they kind of fell off, too, because, I mean, that was a big change for them around that time. I mean, they went from hysteria, and then it just got yeah. further and further away from what, I don't know, me personally. Well, that's always been my problem, Def Leppard. I love the first two, and everything uh-huh. since has been further and further away from that. Well, regardless of personal opinion, I think success-wise and stability-wise, you kind of have to give it to Bon Jovi. I mean, they've... They really weathered the storm, and they continued to play with, you know, the full stadiums of soccer moms all over the world. That's true. I mean, if you look at it, you say Guns N' Roses, you know, they, yeah, they survived into the 90s, but not too much further past that. Van Halen, that was Van Hagar back then, you know, and they were doing big things. If you're talking success-wise, you can't really argue it, but that didn't last either. Motley Crue, they had their internal problems. They probably could have done something if they would have been able to stick it out with the Motley Crue, with the uh, with the original lineup and really stay true, if they would have came out with, like, New Tattoo right after Dr. Feelgood, they might have been able to survive it. I think they were big enough. But, again, just like Guns N' Roses and Van Halen, they had their inner problems. And, I mean, Bon Jovi did too, but they just didn't seem to skip a beat, I guess. Uh, and, you know, I'm no fan of Bon Jovi, but I have to say Bon Jovi because... You know, I, I can't equate Guns N' Roses as a hair band. I mean, I know they started pre-Appetite. You know, they were very hair band looking. <clears throat> but um, that album's gritty. It's not a hair band. It's not a hair band album. So I'd have to say Bon Jovi because, I mean, unlike, you know, other than uh, Guns N' Roses, they play stadiums. Yeah. You know? Right. So, you know, yeah, like Chris said, uh, you know, my personal opinion about their music aside they weathered it better than any band, I think, of, of that era, you know, because you think of all the arena acts of that time, you know. I think that uh, kind of, for me, brings up a question within the question for you, Ralph. If you don't consider Guns N' Roses a hair band, do you consider L.A. Guns a hair band? Um, you I mean, because they were both gritty and they were both, you know, they both were heavy and they both kind of teetered with ballads a little bit, but nothing too sappy or soft. You know, I, I consider like as far as heaviness and, you know, Guns N' Roses to me is L.A. Guns is kind of like sleaze rock, kind of like Faster Pussycat. But L.A. Guns gets called a hair band, but Guns N' Roses sometimes don't. Uh, the first L.A. Guns album is definitely not a hair band album. 
that that album is, is dirty. It's awesome. It's heavy. They kind of took like more of a Van Halen route where Guns N' Roses took kind of like a Stones um, Aerosmith route. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't equate that. But honestly, when it comes to LA Guns, I, I kind of like lost touch with them afterwards because you know they kind of. Uh, I mean, the next album was pretty good, but it had like you know. Uh, there was a few songs they didn't like off it. And, you know, what was the Ballad of Jane? That was kind of a power ballad. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Where the power ballad on the first album, I forgot the name of it, but it wasn't really your typical power ballad, you know? Right. Okay. That makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't consider the first album a hair, hair album either. All right. He also wants to know if Cliff Burton had lived, how do you think Metallica would have sounded going into the 90s? Do you still <clears> think they would have changed? I think they still would have done the load type albums. Remember, Cliff was big into Southern rock, and those albums did have a Southern tinge to them. I don't think he would have let them cut their hair and wear suits from the album pictures, though. He would have slapped some sense into them on that decision. He would have looked the same with his denim jacket and bell bottoms. I've always loved Cliff's I-don't-give-a-fuck attitude. What do you guys think? What would Metallica in the 90s have been like if Cliff Burton would have still been alive and a big part of that band? Well, mm. I don't know if he would have agreed with the load stuff, but you got to remember, and a lot of people don't remember or don't even care to, to know facts, because I know it's very unpopular what I'm about to say, but it's a fact. It's a fucking fact. In Metallica, you had three guys that were metalheads, and, you know, they... they they bordered on, you know, punk, discharge, misfits, stuff like that. Man, Cliff was into ZZ Top, Blue Oyster Cult, Leonard Skinner. I mean, if anybody had more uh, a musical variety, it was Cliff Burton. You know, he loved Thin Lizzy. And uh, he would have been the first that wanted to change. And if you look, there's this, there's this interview they did in the tour bus where Cliff is bitching. Like, man, people get mad at us because we don't play a thousand miles an hour. Fuck them. You know, he, he, you can tell he's already getting sick of that elitist attitude of you just got to play songs like kill them all all through your right. career because they were getting shit i'll never forget when i went to la i moved to la in 85 i'll never forget that was the first time i saw backlash on metallica with fade to black and i was like whoa yeah. really i think that song rules ah oh, they sold out you know they they were called sellouts even back then yeah. but you know you can imagine with you know <laughs> the black album and stuff but i think cliff would have been the first one that wanted to change direction in Metallica, out of uh, all of them. He might have left the band, you know, who knows? But, um, you know, the people that say he should have been Lars, well, Lars was more metal. You know, Lars was new wave of British heavy metal. Yeah. And uh, and so were the other two. The other two were metalheads, you know, Kurt liked UFO, like more of the, you know, some some hard rock stuff. But but Cliff was the most, uh, he had, and, and he loved classical music. He was very much into uh, stuff that wasn't just 100 miles an hour, and he hated Venom, <laughs> which is crazy. See, and that's what I was thinking, too. Like, if if that's the case, then he would have been the one most likely wanting to stretch his creative yeah. wings. You know, in the original Metallica fans that were just the thrash metal fans, you know, play faster, play faster, they would have preferred to see Metallica go like a Venom route instead of what they end up becoming, where they kind of embrace a little bit what's popular in music at the time and kind of blend themselves to fit that. And so, yeah. I mean, they did it in the 80s. They did it in the end, in definitely into the 90s. So, I mean... I, like you said, either Cliff would have quit the band because he just said, screw it, you know, I don't want to just play thrash, or he would have probably been leading the charge on that, if you think about it. I, I honestly believe he would have been the first to say, let's 
do something not so thrashy out of all four of them back then, you know. But then they, you know, they kind of grew out of it, too, a little bit. So uh, they they finally caught up, you know. But Cliff, even back in the 80s, you you know, you'd see shirts, him wearing Skinner shirts and and, uh, Blue Exocult shirts. And this is a thrash band. It was like you didn't wear shit like that. It had to be Slayer or Venom, you know. But, um, but yeah, you know, I think think a lot of people don't realize that Cliff was uh, much more versatile, and I think, and you know, and I'm not saying this because he died, but I think if the Metallica would have changed with Cliff, it would have been way more interesting because he had a great melodic nature to him. My favorite Metallica song of all time is Orion. And that oh. shit he does in Orion is so melodic and so awesome in the middle, yeah. the bass st- stuff. It's just, I think it would have been interesting if they would have went the non-thrash route with Cliff being part of the songwriting team. It w- I think it would have been musically much more interesting. Wow. And I think that uh, I agree with everything you guys say, and I think they would have gone more experimental. And in fact, I think there would be Jazz Odyssey, and they would do a musical called Saucy Jack, and it would all have been Cliff Burton's fault. <laughs> wow. And there they go, ripping off Spinal Tap again with a black album named Saucy Jack. Uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, our next question comes to us from John Phillips. And, Doctor, this one's for you. He says, I hope you're feeling better. Have you spoken to your ex-podcaster since the breakup? No, I have not. Um, me and Ian have not spoken to each other. And uh, I will go on the record to say that he's a great guy. It's just it didn't work out between. Shit happens, man. And uh, I think he's a very talented, funny guy. And I knew he was going to do just fine without me. And I wish him all the best, man. So I have nothing bad to say about the guy. But, hey, man, shit happens. And. You know, it's like a divorce. You know, you don't want to like you know talk to your ex-wife. You know, so, and I and I'm sure he feels the same way about me. So, yeah, I, I respect the guy. I love him. And I think what we recreated was the. I still stand by it. We were the best. But you know, <laughs> it, 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 it just you know all the good things must end. You know, so um, I, I wish him all the best. But no, I haven't spoken to him since now. Chris, we're never going to get a podcast or divorce, are we? I certainly hope not. No, me too. I'm, I'm not planning on it. I, no, I, I, you, know. you guys are all right. You both drink. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was a sober one. But sober guys and, and, and drunk people break up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, as, as long as we both keep putting out, I think we're good. <laughs> Quality content. Yeah, I do miss having <laughs> sex with them. That all I miss. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure that'll come up here before the end of these questions. He was so easy, but, you know, it's because of the alcohol. Yeah. (laughs) I was the pitcher, by the way. (laughs) Oh, man. All right, here's one from Paul Korn, and this one I think is for me and Chris. Are the two of you content with the level of success that the Decibel Geek podcast has attained, or is there an ultimate goal for this to go next tier? If there were a lucrative yet corporate offer made, what would be the make or break stipulations for you to accept or decline? You two definitely have the chemistry and the chops to take this as far as you want. Love the show as always. Your pal, PK. That's awesome. (laughs) It's a cool thing to think about, man. I mean, so imagine like, say whatever corporation comes in tomorrow and says, hey, we love what you guys are doing. We want to sponsor your show. I think the only real stipulation would be total and complete, unquestionable quality 
and creative control. If we could do what we do now the way we want to do it, you know, and then maybe you spring and, and throw Spotify a couple of bucks so we can play some of them songs, that would be great too. But as far as any of that goes, I mean, if they came in and said, hey, we want to pay you guys, but you're going to become a Kenny G podcast because you have great chemistry and we think you can talk about anything. I don't know, man. <laughs> How many zeros are we talking? <laughs> I'm not doing the heavier side of Kenny G. I don't care. No, I don't think so. It would have to be complete creative control. Yeah. We wouldn't want it to turn into like uh, on that uh, Wayne's World movie where Noah's Arcade sponsors us and it turns into something lame. Right, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, we're, mean, la- we're lame enough already. <laughs> what, would be, what would be the point of getting paid if the show just turns lame and then all our awesome listeners say, screw them, and then we don't have no listeners anymore, and then the, the sponsors are going to say, well, you guys, are, I don't know what happened, you know, but you guys aren't doing it no more, and then we're right back to square one. So we just cut that off from the beginning and say, hey, we don't change for nobody and that would have to be what it would have to be we hit 10 well we will hit 10 years next april so you know if we could i mean if it goes to if if we got you know some kind of offer that would be awesome but i think we're just having fun doing it the way we are you know i mean it's it's a great outlet for us we love all the listeners such as you paul corn and we've made so many friends like ralph and you know i mean i mean we may not be financially lucrative from it, but I, you know, we're rich in many other ways from it. Right. So I think if we never became any more successful than we are today, and we just got that big accolade last week, if we never top that, I'm okay with it, really, because, I mean, we, to me, in my heart, what we're doing is already successful because what we're doing is helping spread the word of hard rock and metal music. And we're finding all kinds of people that are like-minded and we're all enjoying it together. And if that ain't good enough, well, that's too bad because it's, that's good enough for me. Well, and since, uh, since Ralph and Ian aren't doing it anymore, we're officially the podcast Kings by default. Damn I right. Hand you, I hand over my crown. I got I got to say this was so funny. I heard the other day the crossover Decibel Geek with uh, Cassius Morris. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was it made me laugh so much how naive Aaron was when when he went for the audition and you said how much does it pay? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> that was hilarious cuz you didn't know about podcasting, you know? Yeah, yeah, welcome to the world of podcasting. Nobody's getting paid. Yeah, you, you guys look for the rubbish, man. Once you start second guessing, you suck. Right. You know, yeah. you have to do it. You have to be yourself. That's that's why you guys are successful. You don't second guess. You know, you hey, fuck, we're going to do it as you know we feel. You know, that's why you guys are successful. Well, and I had a guy talking to me the other day about it. And it's like, well, you know, you're top ten all time. This and you know, you've got that many listeners. You know, what do you what are you doing to get sponsorship? And it's like, yeah. Nothing really, you know, we just kind of, we concentrate on the next episode, you know, it's always the next episode and that doesn't really leave a whole lot of businessman time, you know, we're too busy being the creators of something we think is awesome, so don't really think about that stuff too much, but you know, it's it's good the way it is, you know, as long as we can get, we can get guys like Ralph to come on the show with us and all our awesome guests we've had on the quarantine sessions and we're having fun, I mean, that's really what it's all about, but you know, Pretty soon we'll have a slogan. It'll be Decibel Geek, 10 years and not a penny made. 
So if you, <laughs> if you love us, you know you can always head on over to clickteesshop.com and pick yourself yes. up a Decibel Geek T-shirt. And little by little, yeah. you know, it all helps. It helps keep okay. the show paid for anyway. Go, go to patreon.com slash decibelgeek and sign up for that too. We're, we owe people a, a torpedo dude soon. Yeah, and, but, I'm, uh, and I'm still collecting. So I, I've been collecting all kinds of uh, off show comments and conversations and stuff from these last quarantine sessions and yeah one of these days and that's the other funny thing too it's like oh man i really need to work on some vip stuff oh wait i've got to actually work on the new episode (laughs) so it, it becomes a conflict sometimes do i wish we were getting paid for this yes because that would mean i would have my time free to do more decibel geek stuff you know to be able to create more content and we could create more shows and you know and and really stay on top of all this stuff and luckily all our our VIPs are very very loving and understanding of that. So when it, when it does come out, it usually comes out like buckshot. I'll release like five episodes of VIP somewhere between two and five, and say, okay, I'll be back in three months to unload a whole bunch more. <laughs> <laughs> a pretty understanding crowd. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Eric Lucier wants to know if live shows were to come back today. But you had to go inside a giant plastic bubble. Would you go to the show? Oh fuck yeah! The safest mosh pit ever. Show man, I don't care. I'll I'll wear a fucking Mickey Mouse outfit, whatever it takes, man. (laughs) I want to go to a goddamn show already. (laughs) I I agree with you. Trust Sammy Hagar. I don't care. I want. Oh shit! Wow. Yeah, that's how bad. (laughs) I'll put on a Ronald McDonald outfit. I don't care. It's severe. Sammy Hagar. Yeah, big plastic bubble, adult diapers. Let's go. Let's do it. I'm ready. John Travolta style, man. <laughs> All right. Got too old of a reference for you guys. I think so. Boy in the boy, bubble, boy maybe. In the plastic bubble was a TV movie in the seventies. Oh, oh, boy okay. In the yeah. <laughs> All right, Matt Weller's dick is back. He wants to know: Dawkins Dream Warriors or Alice Cooper's Man Behind the Mask? Uh, I got to go with Dawkins. And, you know, I'm a more of an Alice fan. I love Alice, but, man, I don't like that song. And I, I, I kind of like Constrictor because it's so, you know, throw my gorilla and shit like that. So bad it's great. <laughs> but that one is like, ah, oh, I don't know. For a comeback song, yeah, it should have been Teenage Frankenstein should have been the single or World Needs Guts. But uh, I, I like I like Dream Warriors. I like that song. I loved the Alice song when it came out, but Dream Warriors is a better song, certainly more guitar-driven. I hate how keyboardy Man Behind the Mask is, but if you if you see Alice live and he has Man Behind the Mask, it's way more guitar-driven, and it sounds the way it really should. But I, I'll go with Dokken. I'm going to go with Dokken as well. I just like that song. I always have. Dream Warriors, Freddy Krueger, all that. Very cool. But then Alice Cooper had the the Jason from Friday the 13th, so that was pretty cool too. But song versus song, I'm going with Dokken. Yeah. Joseph Staub wants to know what are your top three Nazareth albums? Love that guy. That guy sent me a lot of Nazareth CDs, actually. Right on. Uh, Hair of the Dog has always been my favorite. Uh, A very close second, though, is uh, Too Close to Rock and Roll. Absolutely love that album. And um, the third one would be uh, Oh, No Meat City. Those Mm. would be my three favorites. 
I would say the three that I'm most familiar with, of course, obviously, the first one, 1975's Hair of the Dog. It's a perfect album. There's not a bad song on it. It's awesome through and through. That's the one I think they're most known for. Uh, my Aunt Pam had that on LP when I was a little kid. I used to just stare at that album cover and be like, what am I looking at? This is so cool and listen to the music. But the only other two Nazareth I'm even kind of familiar with is Razmanaz and Loud and Proud. And those got some great songs on them too. But I mean, you just can't top hair of the dog. It's, it's their number one album for a reason, I think. But I do need to dig in because they've only got like a hundred some albums that I could be, could be checking out. <laughs> Yeah, everyone he sent me so far is really Razmanaz is an awesome album. Yeah, great, great album. I like I like Razmanaz. I like Hair of the Dog, and and then Frontiers put out the new version of Nazareth uh, two years ago, I think, without Dan McCafferty singing. And I was really skeptical about what it was going to sound like, but it's actually really, really. I can't remember the name of it, but I really liked it. So, but I'm not like a Nazareth diehard, so I'm certainly not an expert on the subject. I have a funny Nazareth story. In the 90s, they played a club called Button South. We get there, and they said they canceled. We walk in. They're getting drunk in the bar. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. (laughs) They were actually there, but they canceled. They wanted a drink instead. (laughs) (laughs) That's so Nazareth. (laughs) Yeah. that's Come to the Button South and get drunk with Nazareth. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. All right, Joe Jenkins says, The three original Kiss albums have amazing songs, but their sound lacks punch. If you were going to re-record one of these albums, which one would it be, and how would you change it? Or do you think they're perfect as is, and you wouldn't change a thing? I, I wouldn't change Harder Than Hell, and I wouldn't change Rest of the Kill. I love the way they both sound. The first one, I want Eddie Kramer to do it. Yeah. But, and, and I love that first album, and, and I don't really have a problem with the sound, but if I had to pick, I'd say just the first one, put Eddie Kramer, because uh, other than watching you, because watching you, he did do as a demo as well, but you know the rest of them were from the first album, but I love the, that crappy production on Hotter Than Hell. I, I don't know, I think it, and I don't know the word I'm trying to, it, it just... It enhances it, it. Yeah, it enhances it because it's so gritty. The songs are gritty too, like Strange Ways, Going Blind, and stuff yeah. like that, and Parasite, that it kind of sounds good that way. I, I, of course, I, I prefer the, the Alive versions of it, but I really have no problem with Hotter Than Hell. Well, and I think that's the cool thing about them first albums is that the production isn't that great, and it kind of goes with the timeline of Kiss. You know, it's before Bob Ezrin. You know, you know what Destroyer ends up sounding like. It's this over-the-top and orchestras and all this shit thrown into it. But before that, before Alive, Kiss was just kind of an up-and-coming band that at the time was really kind of lucky to have three full-length albums out. And so when the quality of those albums aren't perfect, like, say, Love Gun, you know, you get that later on, that's that's way more slick and polished than what you get on the first three albums, but that's for a reason, because Kiss had advanced to that point. So I think there's kind of a charm with those first three albums sounding as raw as they do is because Kiss was a raw band, and that's how they should have sound. So I don't change nothing. Yeah, yeah, you I, know what? I I wouldn't either. I mean, the only reason I would pick the first Kiss album is because, you know, sometimes uh, for the longest time, my favorite was Hotter Than Hell from the first three. Now it's Dressed to Kill. I, I, that's the one I listen to the most. But if you really get down to it, the first album is like a greatest hits. It has the best songs. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think with a different production, it could have made it better. That's all. But I wouldn't change nothing about 
Hive in Hell and Dress to Kill at all. If I'm playing around, I would I would have Bob Ezrin do Hotter Than Hell just to see what it would sound like. But I mean, wow. I mean, I, I'm the fact that we got most of these songs on a live kind of helps balance it out to where there's a place for those first three and they're fine. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I probably wouldn't change anything overall. I mean, I, I'm going to get extremely nerdy here. I would put Coming Home on Dress to Kill and She on on Hotter Than Hell. That's a good idea. <laughs> You, you know what I mean? Because really she fits hot as hell, and and coming home fits more the production of Dress to Kill. Yep, that's good. Good. Good thought. A kiss, nerd. All right. Uh, let's see. Aaron Baker, our good friend, he wants to know: Dio solo or Ozzy solo? Ooh, you know what? I'm gonna have to go with Ozzy on the strength of Randy Rhodes. Uh, I love Bark at the Moon, but I mean those two. Those two first Ozzy albums is just historically perfect. And uh, as much as I love Holy Diver and I love Lock Up the Wo- Lock Up the Wolves, I love Strange Highways, The Last in Line, yeah. uh, Dream Evil. But man, those first two Ozzy albums, uh, hard to top. That is hard to mm-hmm. top. If you're looking at a discography versus discography, and one you can never listen to again. I just, I don't want to live without them first few Ozzy albums. And even, I mean, all the way up until, uh, No More Tears, especially. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to live without any of that stuff. And I think if I really had to choose, and I love everything Dio's done, you know, every album Dio's ever come out has got a majority of the songs on it are for me. I dig it a lot, but I just can't give away the Ozzy. Yeah. It's hard though. I mean, cause Dio, I mean, I think Dio aged better into the 90s than Ozzy did, but yeah, I mean, there's just too much iconic stuff from from Ozzy, from Blizzard going forward through the 80s that you kind of have to, you have to go with Ozzy on that one. Yeah. Just goes to show, you know, Dio's technically a better singer, but it doesn't matter at the end of the day, does it? It's about the songs. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Aaron also wants to know, how did Ralph come up with the name Thrash or Die? Wow, I don't remember. <laughs> um, I don't. Um, oh, yeah, now I remember. It was because, you know, Thrash and I initially, well, some people still say it's a joke band, but uh, initially we were, we, we our goal was to do a split, you know, with another band. There's a band down here called Hellwitch. We wanted to do a split where we uh, wanted to write songs about Thrash, like Thrash for Breakfast, stupid shit. And that's how I came up with Wake Up Small Thrash. That's the only song that survived our silly, jokey shit. And we came up with Thrash Attack first. And then I was like, ah, I hate it. And then my guitar player found a cover band, of all things, in Orlando called Thrash or Die that disbanded. And I was like, oh, my God, that's perfect for our jokey shit, Thrash or Die. Yeah. So, yeah, that's how we came up with it, yeah. Right. And now there's like, you know, as far as I know, five people with tattoos of Thrasher Die. You know, it's uh we're in movies, we're in two movies that feature Lemmy and um yeah, a bootleg shirt. So, I mean, it's it's my goal is to release a single and pl- uh, a split and play this local club called Culture Room and we ended up headlining in front of 8,000 people in Colombia. So, nice. go fig, you know. And then Chris had just shared a thing earlier in the week where somebody was doing a reaction video to yeah. wake up and smell the thrash. How cool is that? 
that was awesome and he loved it you know he was fucking he was so into it and i was like that's awesome man that i haven't watched that video forever and i watched that reaction i had to go back and actually watch the actual video man that video is hilarious it, it is was, fun. it was really weird timing though because like i i'm big into reaction videos i love them and that guy's somebody i watch regularly so i start going through his archive and i'm like it was right after we got you lined up to come on the show. I was like, "Holy fuck!" He did Thrasher, and I and I when I sent it to you, I was like, "Surely Ralph knows about this." So I was nope. kind of surprised that you didn't even know. I had no idea, and I was <laughs> shocked. And I sent it to all the the band members, and they loved it too. It's like it was it really made my night, and that's that was the night I felt the worst, you know, like, <laughs> the hospital. And it like you know, I watched it and then I had to go to bed, but I got on my phone and and. And sent it to everybody in the band. Dude, check this out. Somebody reacted to our video. And, and it was so, so cool how, how he explained at the end how much he loved every component of it. And it was just so cool watching that. It was awesome. It is very video. cool. Yeah. All right. Matt Weller sticks back. He wants to know, Tony Iommi or Richie Blackmore? Oh. Tony. Um, Black Sabbath is my all-time favorite band. You know, and I'm going to go with Blackmore. Wow. I know it sounds insane, but there's certain there's something about Blackmore's emotion. It's like it just pours where Iomi does it, too. You can hear in Lonely is the word. And but, man, everything Blackmore does, man, it's just there's just so much emotion in his playing. And but, you know, I still I mean, as far as, you know, uh, music uh, songs, I'm going to go with Iomi, but soloing man there's a song on difficult to cure that i can't pronounce this in german it's one of my greatest solos of all time it's it's just i don't know there's just this feel and you know if you look at real early uh rod evans live um and in rock live blackboard was for one of the first guys to do the sweeps on guitar you know i didn't see anybody mm-hmm. do sweeps before then hmm. He's an extremely underrated. You think about the guy that wrote Smoke on the Water. Yeah. Nobody talks about it anymore. It's crazy. Yeah, it's that's true. I mean, it is easy just to say Tony Iommi based on the awesomeness of Sabbath, but yeah, I mean, there is no denying the power of Richie Blackmore. Yeah, he's one. He's like in my top five guitar players of all time. I love him. I think I think Richie's a better player, but I'll I prefer what Tony's. I, I prefer Tony's output over Richie's. I, I can't blame you. And me, me too, as far as like, and riffs. I mean, come on. Tony is the yeah. master. Yeah, you know? I'm mean, the riff master. Yeah. And then you go into like, you know, Laguna Sunrise. I mean, it's all acoustic and it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the guy, mm-hmm. it's, the guy's just not one, a one trick pony. You know, right. Tony Iommi is fucking amazing. He's known as the doom and gloom, but man, he wrote some beautiful yeah, music pieces too, you know? Awesome. That's a good question. Tough one. It is uh, good. It's a great question. Here's another tough one. Better Hulk Hogan movie, No Holds Barred or Rocky Three? That's it's Rocky Three, but I have a feeling Aaron's going to say No Holds Barred. Well, I mean, it is the greatest movie of all time. Oh, for fuck's no, sake. No, I'm just kidding. You got to go with <laughs> – if you go in movie for movie, then you got to do Rocky Three. But, I mean, Hogan was a way bigger part of the other one. But it wasn't well, yeah. that great of a movie. <laughs> well, I, I love Rocky Three because of Mr. T, though. You know I mean? Yeah, that was a great movie all around. There's yeah, a woman. Totally. <laughs> you know, you want to see a real man? <laughs> yeah, that scene rules. Want to get a real man? Come over and we'll get your pretty thing around. <laughs> Such a good movie. 
Favorite drummer that also does singing. Examples, Don Henley, Phil Collins, Peter Chris. You get the point. Favorite drumming singer. Uh, yeah, I'm going to have to go with Peter Chris. I'm a Kiss nerd. Uh, he's my favorite singer in Kiss. I love his bluesy raps, raspy voice. Yeah. Uh, my favorite ballad from Kiss, Hard Luck Woman. I just absolutely love Peter Chris, and I was honored to meet him. I think it was this year, earlier this year. Uh, love Peter Chris. I have to go with Peter Chris. Yeah, hard to argue that. I mean, Peter Chris is the man when it comes to that. That's always the first one I'm going to think of. But then I'm going to think of other guys in Kiss. I'm going to think of Eric Carr. You know, he was a hell of a yeah. singer. You yeah, know? he was. And even Eric Singer. I like Eric Singer's voice. I yeah, like his stuff with ESP. Too. Yeah, yeah, he, he has a good voice as well. He does. I mean, what who, about the who guy else outside of Kiss? Gil Moore from Triumph is a good singer. Yeah. Tommy Lee. <laughs> you take that back. <laughs> you, yeah, but don't you like one of those songs that he does? Nah, get naked. <laughs> All right. Uh, Poisons, look what the cat dragged in. Album cover. All the members were originally confused for women. Which of the four going by the picture would you have fucked first? Uh, Ricky well, Rock. I- yeah, I have a fetish for 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 chicks uh, that that leave one eye closed. So I'll go with Ricky Martin. <laughs> I answered way too fast, didn't I? <laughs> too funny. I don't know. I actually pulled this CD out and was looking at it because I haven't actually looked at the CD cover in a while. And it's like, you know, for as much as everybody talks about how they look like pretty girls, they're really not that good looking. They really look like dudes wearing makeup. Oh, I I agree. (laughs) I mean, it doesn't look like chicks to me. They're not that pretty. I guess if you flipped it over and looked at the back, I mean, Bobby Doll looks kind of hot, I guess. But other than that, I mean, they still all look like dudes to me, just with a lot of makeup on. Oh, the show's hit a new low. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm sure not. We've still got a little bit of time. We can top that. Yeah, plenty of questions yeah. to go. Speaking of which, here it comes, the infamous kill, Mary fuck. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. <laughs> Wendy O. Williams, Doro Pesh, or Ian Wadley? Who would you marry, oh, killer fuck? Ralph goes first. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Uh, uh, what about them? All what right, the you, you got to choose between the three. You got to marry one of them, kill one of them, and fuck one of them. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Well, uh, oh fuck! I think it's Dora pretty I'd, easy. Got it. Dora, I'd fuck. Well, uh, I don't want to kill Ian because <laughs> I don't want to kill Wendy. Oh, well, I, I guess I'll say I kill Wendy because she's dead now. You know, so technically I'll kill Wendy today. Well, I already married Ian. That didn't work out. (laughs) Man, the guests we have on this show are better than anybody else in the entire world that I've ever met of catching me in mid-drink and almost making me ruin my laptop. That's awesome. Well, I thought it was easier than that. I mean, you kill Ian, you fuck Wendy Williams because she's going to teach you about the metal and love, and you marry Doro Pesh because she's so sweet and nice and pretty. Yeah. Uh, yeah I'm, I'm taking... like, I, I want to turn Doro Pesh into a nasty whore. <laughs> I don't know. Doro Pesh out of those three is the most marriage material, so I'm going to steal Aaron's answer. Yeah, on that I one. think so. I thought that was easy. No, I, 
Then I said, Mary. Oh yeah, I said a fucker. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, I'd marry. I don't. I don't believe in marriage, so I ain't gonna marry none of them. He, <laughs> he ain't taught me that. <laughs> Never get married again. Oh man, we were the we were really the podcast queens. If you really think about it, <laughs> if you really think about it, yeah, that makes sense. All right, Mark Adams has got a good one here. We're just going to go down the list. What album was your introduction to each of the following bands? What was your introduction to ACDC? Uh, uh, my, uh, what's uh, Rock and Roll Damnation off uh, the live album was my friend bought um, If You Want Blood. And I'll never forget the first time I heard that. And I said, man, they're good. But that, that, that singer sounds like an alien. I don't know about him. And <laughs> and now I think Bon Scott's one of the greatest singers ever. So yeah. it just goes to show. Like the first time I heard Fair Warning, I hated it. And I think it's a masterpiece now. Sometimes, you know, uh, the first uh, listens, you know, sh- you shouldn't go by that. So no, you got to grow. Let your ears mature. Your mind grow a little bit. By by Highway to Hell, I was, I was already locked into Bon Scott, but my first initial hearing it, I was like, because nobody sounded like that back then, and I was and I was young and stupid. I, I haven't gotten laid yet, so I didn't know shit, you know. So, but Bon Scott, yeah, really like turned me off the first time I heard it, you know. But now it's like one of my favorite live albums, and he's one of my favorite singers and my main inspiration when I write songs and my favorite lyricist of all time. Hell yeah! Uh, mine was Back in Black. My first ACDC was uh, Dirty Deeds, Done Dirt Cheap. I think my cousin Rhonda had it. And I remember singing the song Big Balls, and my grandma was like, you say, what? Because <laughs> I was just which a little is, kid. Which, again, is the genius of Bon Scott. He's talking about, you know, like, you know, the dancing, ball dancing and shit. <coughs> That's what the lyrics are. But, you know, <laughs> nobody really caught on to that. You know? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> All right, how about Black Sabbath, first introduction? Oh, man, that my brother, uh, we shared a room, and he owned Paranoid. And it was a really different time in the early 70s, mid-70s, that when he would flip the album over and play Electric Funeral, I would run out of the room because I thought that by listening to this, I was going to go to hell. <laughs> I really did. It was such a scary riff. And, and, and another thing that really freaked me out about the album is, like, the gatefold where Ozzy's, like, on, the, on one side. And just the way Ozzy looked. Scared the hell out of me as a little kid. I don't know. I don't know why, but it just did. But that's my introduction was paranoid. That's awesome. Yeah, my dad had paranoid, and he had volume four. And I used to just, I mean, when I was a little bitty kid, he'd play them. And then as soon as I got old enough to figure out how to work the record player myself, I was playing them all the time. And the cover of paranoid with the dude with the sword and the shield. Yeah, I thought that was my dad. <laughs> That's how little I was listening to these albums. <laughs> Chris, first Sabbath? Uh, mine was definitely Paranoid. I had a, a buddy in school, middle school, I think, that had it. And Iron Man and uh, Paranoid were like the two first songs that I got into. So, yeah, Paranoid was definitely it for me. Right on. How about Cheap Trick? What was your introduction to them? I have the most bizarre story how I discovered Cheap Trick. It's beyond bizarre. You guys remember Columbia House? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, you know, if you got somebody to join, he'd get a free record or some shit. So I'm at his house picking the records I wanted, and I, there was one left, and he randomly got in color. It is before Budokan. They weren't big yet. 
And when I got the cassette, because there were cassettes, the cover of In Color looked like it was like Simon and Garfunkel or some shit. And I didn't even listen to it. I was going to text my friend, the same guy that turned me on ACDC, came to my house. I was going to record over it some King Biscuit Flower Hour show. And before I did, he said, dude, let's hear this. I was like, all right. And hello there starts the album. I was like, what the hell? That's how I discovered Cheat Trick. Wow. Really bizarre way to discover a band. I got Heaven Tonight at a yard sale when I was in my teens. That was my introduction to him. I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is great. And then just went back from there. For me, it was, you know, about the cheesiest way you could get into Cheap Trick. The Flame and uh, the Flame was like the first song I heard by them. And then they did the cover of uh, what, the Elvis tune. What was it? Don't, uh, be, don't, don't be, be Cruel. cruel. Yeah. It was all over MTV. And that was that was how I got into them. Of course, my dad was like, oh, you need to listen to them, you know, because he was into Surrender and a lot of the old stuff. And that's when I went back and got the old stuff. But yeah, it was, it was their mid '80s success that got me hooked on them. That's so crazy and to look back now and be like, "Man, Cheap Trick sure sucked back then." But then you think about it, like a lot of people got turned on to Cheap Trick through that stuff because in the MTV era, that was they were pretty big. You know, they they got some pretty good airplay. Yeah, and for sure. Science does show that if you get into Cheap Trick by the Flame and Don't Be Cruel, you don't become a big Cheap Trick fan, right, Chris? Well, clearly. <laughs> I would think that'd be the exception because it's all downhill from there, right? I mean, you listen to those songs and be like, well, I, I learned about this band from these songs, but now I learned all this, you know? It's like, it's like getting into Motley Crue by Brandon. <laughs> Nobody got into Motley Crue from Brandon. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was a stretch. Uh, how about Def Leppard? Oh, on through the night, man. I heard Rock Brigade on the radio, ran out and bought the album, and that was the album I played the most in 1980. Absolutely worship on through the night. And sometimes it's my favorite. You know, most of the time it's high and dry. But goddamn, do I love that first album. And I just yeah. got that box set a few months ago, that early years. Great stuff, man. What a great band. And I was uh, honored enough to see them one time open for Ozzy with Randy Rhodes. Oh, so nice. I got to see Pete Willis once too, as well. You know. Oh wow, that's cool. Yeah, I got into him uh, through the photograph video on MTV. I remember when it because I was one of the, I was one of the only people in my neighborhood to get MTV when it was around that time, like eighty two, eighty three, and uh, I remember seeing that video on MTV from Pyromania, and I and uh, I didn't get Pyromania until later, but that was my first exposure was that video. Yeah, my first exposure to Def Leppard was my cousin Robin's uh, Pyromania cassette tape. And I was like, man, this is really cool. I like this a lot. And I was like, oh, well, they got a new album coming out in like a week or two. And then that was Hysteria. So then I got Hysteria on LP. And man, when I was young, I loved it a lot. But now I don't listen to it at all. But I sure go back to those first three albums. Oh, yeah. All right, how about- I was big into hysteria back in the day, but yeah, I don't I never go back to it now. Yeah, it don't hold up, I don't think. Um, how about Iron Maiden? First album. I'm old, man. Uh, I walked <laughs> I walked into a record store, I saw that album cover and I was like, I flipped it over and it like Paul Deanna looked like Rob Halford. Uh, what's his name? Dave Murray looked like KK Downing. Uh, Glenn, uh Dennis Stratton looked like uh Glenn Tipton with the with the red leather pants and uh Steve Harris looked like Pete Way, but I, I still said, eh, "I got to get this fucking album." Look at this album cover, and mm-hmm. that's how I uh, discovered uh, 
the first Maiden album, how I discovered Maiden. Still my favorite Maiden album, too, the first one. Mine was, um, saw the the video, I can't remember which one I saw first. It was the videos for Number of the Beast and Run to the Hills. But I don't remember which one I saw first. But I remember seeing both those videos around the same time on MTV. So that was my first exposure to Maiden. I remember being in like junior high and seeing somebody with an Iron Maiden t-shirt and then being at the fair and seeing like the uh, the mirrors that you could win and they always had like <laughs> Iron Eddie on it. It was so cool, you know, and the logo was so cool. And then when my Uncle Bruce started selling his records, I got Power Slave and I got um which what other one did I get? Strange no, Somewhere in Time. Yeah, Power Slave and Somewhere in Time. And I brought home Power Slave. I brought them. I brought them both home. And put on Power Slave first, and was hooked after that. Great album. And then I didn't even know about the original singer until later on. Uh, speaking of Judas Priest, what was your first introduction to Priest? In Germany, I was in Germany uh, with my parents to visit my brother in the army. He owned Unleashed in the East, and wow, you talk about a, a life-changing album. You know, because uh, at that time, Kiss to me was the ultimate gateway band. Yeah. And once I got into Kiss, I was looking for like heavy out, heavy bands, like you know, hard rocking bands. And when I heard Exciter for the first time, and you know, Rob Halford like at the end, like going higher and higher, and then hitting that pinnacle note at the very end, I was hooked. And to this day, it's my favorite Priest album and my favorite live album of all time. I guess yeah. everything is timeline. The first time you hear something first album was usually your favorite yeah it makes it special to you yeah i for me it was uh i heard well i heard they the the local rock station in nashville used to play the hellion and electric eye like together yeah it was always the same they were always together and i remember really getting hooked on the riff for that and uh went to a mall in nashville called church street center and the first two actual cds i ever bought was uh, Judas Priest screaming for vengeance and Kiss Unmasked. One I loved and one I didn't really love much. I'll let you guess which. Hmm. You hated the priest. <laughs> no, I love the priest. Well, I'm lucky to even be a Judas Priest fan because my first introduction to them was Turbo. <laughs> a buddy of mine had it in communication technology class in high school and it was one of the things I had a cassette, I don't remember which one, and he had a cassette and we traded, you know, well I will trade these for a week. And I brought it home a list to it and man, it was like some of it was really cool. Some of it not so much. As I get older, that one's a little bit tougher to listen to, but I'm sure glad that at least it opened up the door for me to check out other stuff, and I'm crazy about Judas Priest from the first album all the way up to the last one, everything in between. I like it all. You know, some are stronger than others. You know, I wouldn't recommend somebody to start with Turbo, but, I mean, it worked for me. All right, let's see. Uh, Kiss, what was your introduction to Kiss? It's odd because I know I must have heard Beth and Rock and Roll All Night before this. Um, I, well, really, my, my first, I was a huge fan of Mad Magazine when I was a little kid. Yeah. And I never forget they had like a drawing of Kiss in there somewhere. And I was just like transfixed by that image. And it was my friend that played me I Want You from Rock and Roll Over. And I was hooked. So I ran out to buy it, but couldn't find it. But I found Double Platinum. And it had I Want You on them. So I bought that instead and 
you talk about that, like I said earlier, the ultimate gateway band. And when you're 11, 12 in the 70s, you couldn't escape that band. It was like they they just like gripped. They, they, that was my band, you know. But at the same time, you know, I started discovering other bands because them because before Kiss, I was really not real. I was into movies, but I liked ELO. I had a couple of their albums in Kansas. I still love those albums a lot. But you know, Kiss was the one that made me look into other bands. But yeah, Double Platinum was my and I Want You is the song that got me into hard rock. Basically, not only Kiss, but the, the lunatic I am today with this crazy man cave I own. I owe it all to that one song. Nice. Mine's also double platinum. My Aunt Pam had it, and she would play it, and it would drive me crazy as like a four-year-old. And then by five, I'm asking for Kiss records for Christmas, and I got Kiss Alive too. and it was it was over from there. You know, I don't know what my parents were thinking buying such a little kid Kiss records, but they did. You know, and I was into it. So, I mean, I've been listening to rock music since as long as I can remember. And I just, I always remember that silver album, opening it up, looking at the embossed pictures on the inside and just loving the music and then not really understanding until getting alive too and opening it up and seeing the picture of the band live. And then that's, it's over from alive too. But yeah, mine was double platinum also. Your parents did right. You had I know no they tattoos did. on your face. I know they did. <laughs> Uh, for me, well, it's like it's like my first exposure to Kiss as an entity was not musical. It was two things. One, with my brother, when I was, I must have been like six, and he was like eight. He got the Peter Chris '78 puzzle with him holding the uh, chains with the Panthers. He got that for his for his birthday from my cousin Melissa, and it fucking gave me nightmares. And then. In 1982, I still remember that for some reason this stuck with me. I remember we were in, living in Atlanta at the time. My mom's like cleaning up dishes after dinner, and they have a news report on TV going, Kiss is playing the Omni tonight in Atlanta. And I remember they showed a, like a, a, a video of Gene Simmons drooling blood, and I remember it freaked me out. <laughs> and I, that, that was my first exposure to Kiss. But musically, it was... <laughs> Much to Ralph's chagrin, the Crazy Nights record. That's when I got into the band. And, 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 and what did I say earlier? Timeline's everything. That's the first one you heard. So yeah. obviously, yeah, you know. I was like a, I was like, a, we'll say eighty-seven. So I was eleven years old. Yep. Right on. Okay. How about Motley Crue? Uh, a live wire video on MTV. Uh, I didn't buy Too Fast for Love. My friend did, um, but that was my introduction to Motley Crue, and I heard the album at my friend's house, and then. My aunt bought me Shout at the Devil when it was new, like on Christmas. I think it came out around Christmas. And to this day, I think it's the perfect traditional metal album. I still love that album like hell. I was listening to it the other day. Such a great album. It's great. Yeah, Shout yeah. at the Devil is easily the best thing Crew ever did, I think. And, man, it's hard to argue it's not the best thing that any band from that era ever did. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to bring this up. It's so funny. I saw not too long ago. An interview with Mike Reno from Loverboy, mm-hmm. and he said, "Yeah, when Nirvana came, they killed us." I was like, "Dude, shout at the devil killed you guys! <laughs> <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Nirvana, Loverboy, give me a break! It was shout at the devil that killed Loverboy." Yeah, yeah. I think so. Um, how about Scorpions? Uh, again, um, Judas Priest unleashed in the East. Scorpions, Love Drive, 
Frank Zappa, Sheik Your Booty, and Super Tramp, Crime of the Century were the four albums I heard when I was in Germany visiting my brother. So Love Drive. I would say uh, I don't. What album is Rocket Like a Hurricane? That's what on? I was going to say. I'm not sure. Oh, what I love the first on. thing. Love yeah. the first. That was my first. Um, and they go back to Motley Crue for me. Uh, smoking in the boys' room video on MTV and Theater of Pain was my first record, and I still love that record. I still, I think it's underrated. I you know I, I I don't hate it as much as everybody. I mean, it does have a filler, but I, I like some of the songs on there. Use it or lose it. I love loud. And That's high. a great song. Loud yeah. and high. I love uh, fight for your rights. A lot. One a lot of people hate. I love that song. I that was one I got uh, theater pain for Christmas, uh, my birthday or Christmas. I don't remember which one year from my uncle Ronnie and my aunt Faye, and uh, my I always remember my cousin Rhonda, and she was like, "Hey, I got you the Motley Crew. They were gonna buy you Pink Floyd," and I was like, <laughs> "Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> but which Pink Floyd? That's the question. I think it would have been uh, Dark Side of the Moon, which would have been okay. But I mean, yeah. who knows? I might be on a totally different projectile in my life since then, if if not for that. So who knows? Uh, Scorpions. I always remember the first time I heard heard the Scorpions was Rocky Like a Hurricane, and it was at the Lincoln County Fair in Merrill, Wisconsin. They had this ride called the Flying Bobs, and it was just this. You'd get into like a cart. And it would just whip you around in a circle while playing, you know, heavy hard rock music at really loud volumes. And a lot of times that was the place to hang out. So you'd hang out in the vicinity of that ride because they're blasting all kinds of great music all day long. And I remember Rock You Like a Hurricane, like distinctly going, wow, what is this? I've never heard this before. And then wanting to know more about the Scorpions from it. But yeah, that was, that was always a cool thing about the fair was hanging out near that ride. Because they're blasting the metal, and that's where all the metal kids always hung out. Yep. All right, Mark Adams says, Rank the Black Sabbath studio albums from debut through Never Say Die. I have no... Let uh, let Ralph do this. I have no opinion on this. It, it, Black Sabbath is one of those bands that fluctuates. You know, yeah. one day I like one. Uh, my favorite, most of the time, and today, is Volume 4. Then Sabbath, Sabbath. Uh, Sabotage, Master of Reality, First Album, Paranoid, Never Say Die, Technical XC, and I love them all. Yeah, same here. It fluctuates a lot back and forth. I put together my list. I went with Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, number one, Volume 4, number two, Paranoid 3, uh, Self-Titled Debut at number four, Masters of Reality at number five, Sabotage at six, Never Say Die at seven, and Dead Last, Technical Ecstasy. Never say die in technical ecstasy. I think got like it's they're fifty fifty. You know, they're there's half the album's really good and the other half is kind of not really good by Sabbath standards. But like Ralph says, man, there ain't nothing you can't love on something. You know, there's there's something on every one of them albums. But yeah, that's my rank. Oddly enough, never say die is the one I listen to the most, <laughs> even technical, though it's kind of low on the list. Yeah, technical technical ecstasy number one through seven for me. Yeah, Chris is weird. I know. I, well, I love It's All Right by, with Bill Ward singing. Love that song, too. I Great love Technoboxy. It's at the bottom of my list, but, man, uh, You Won't Change Me is one of my favorite Sabbath songs. Okay. Uh, All Moving Parts Stand Still. Yeah, that's uh, a good Gypsy. one. Great, great album. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, some good stuff on there. I mean, it don't. I don't think it touches Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, or Volume 4. No, no. Not for me. All right. Um, let's see. Bill Elam, was there ever a concert you were too trash to remember? 
for me, it was Wasp in Cincinnati, 1992. You guys ever been to a concert in so Wasted so you don't even remember it? I got yes. lucky. I, well, it's not that I didn't remember. I ended up in the drunk tank. They literally... <laughs> And it was the second night of the Eat em and Smile tour. I went the first night, so I saw it. But the second night, I got so so hammered on Jack Daniels that uh, they, you know, I, I ended up like, I wanted to go to the bathroom, but I ended up falling on the floor and throwing up. And they took me to the drunk tank. And then I'm in the I'm in the, uh, the bed there and uh, with a bunch of other drunk people. <laughs> and I hear like a song, I think Unchained or something. I was like, man, I want to see this. So I, I got off the bed and I fell. My, 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 my legs were rubber. And this is the only thing I remember about that night was forcing myself to the door, grabbing the knob, lifting myself up, and then they came in. Hey, no, you ain't going nowhere. They put me back in the bed. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember nothing else. The next thing I remember, I woke up on my bed going, what the fuck happened last night? So I called my friend and I said, dude, what happened? He goes, dude, after the show, it was pouring rain and I found you on the hood of my car. Oh wow! I don't know how I got there. I don't, and it's the Sportatorium, which is a huge park. I don't know how I found it. Wow! It's just a big thing. But yeah, that was the only show I can say I was oh, so hammered I, I forgot. I, it's not that I forgot; I didn't see it. <laughs> but I went the first wow. night, so that's wild. Well, for for me, it was um, I think it was called the Glam Slam Metal Jam Tour. It was Poison headlining Rat, Great White, and Night Ranger. I think was the full bill, and we showed up, and of course we were getting high and drinking the whole way there. And I remember showing up, and Great White was finishing their set. They were the first band, and then I started getting drunk because my roommate had gotten his tax refund check. This is so fucking white trash. He got his tax refund track check and cashed it, and he was like, "I'm buying beer for everybody. No, you know, drink as much as you want." So I remember getting really drunk through Night Ranger's set, and all I remember is the end of uh, You Can Still Rock in America because they had, like, all these, these – this amazing light show going on. I remember that song. I don't remember the rest of their set. And then Rat came on, and Rat was fucking awful. And I remember we were – I mean, we all actually made the conscious decision of Rat is so bad, we're going to drink even more. And I don't remember much at all of Rat said other than St- Stephen Piercy was absolute garbage live. And then Poison came on, and I hadn't seen Poison in forever. This is like 1998 or 99. And all I remember of Poison set was the logo, like they had like a screen behind them, and the logo would change with every song. Other than that, and I remember CeCe's god-awful guitar solo, but... Other than that, I don't remember anything. Like, that's all I took away from that concert. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know if I have one. I, I thought about this when I saw the question. I was trying to remember a time. Maybe there might be a couple. I just don't remember. But the one that came to mind for me was one I was drinking quite a bit. And I even tried to call my buddy Shannon this morning to ask him about this to see if he remembered. But we went somewhere, and we seen... I don't remember if hmm. we seen Gilby Clark open for Faster Pussycat and it was somewhere in Wisconsin and I know I was drinking and I'm sure I was smoking weed and got pretty buzzed up but there was a big giant woman like she was an Amazon chick she was huge and we're standing there trying to watch the show and she is molesting me 
like grabbing and, <laughs> and, and squeezing and doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm so buzzed up, all I can do is like slap her hands away, like keep pushing her hands away, and she don't stop. And I remember watching that show going, dudes do this to chicks sometimes. This is awful. <laughs> and I don't remember what happened after that. I, I'm certain that I didn't do nothing with her because I was just I really wanted to see the bands because I was a fan of both of those bands and this would have been man early 2000s somewhere I would guess late late 90s somewhere in there and uh, yeah if I can get a hold of my friend Shannon and he can recount it for me because I would love to remember what happened I only remember bits and pieces of it but I do remember being mauled by a grizzly bear and that was <laughs> was it a club? It's a club show? No it was an outdoor thing Oh wow! Yeah, and she just stood behind me and just pawed me up the whole time. It was it was pretty bad. <laughs> Too drunk to defend myself. And it's funny because you look at it as you're older, and you look back and go, "Well, why didn't you just go fuck her and get it over with?" But when you're young, you don't think of these things. You think, "Oh man, I wanted to see Gilby Clark." <laughs> Your love for Gilby Clark knows no bounds. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> Mike Geisner wants to know, if you were a traveling Wilbury, which Wilbury would you be? I call Roy Orbison. Uh, I'd want to be Tom Petty. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Roy Orbison and uh, Tom Petty and Jeff Lynne. Cause, shit, I flew to Oakland to see ELO. The last, nice. Uh, but um, I'm going to go with Roy Orbison because I absolutely love his voice. What a, what a voice on that man. Yeah. Uh, I'm going with Roy Orbison. See, I just looked at it too. You know, if if this was a coolness contest, who would win? And I think Roy Orbison would be the winner. So that's who I'd want to be. Also, he was. Awesome. I just love. I just love our listeners for the fact that we got a traveling Wilburys question. That's great. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's see what else we got. What's your? Uh, here we go. Taro Pasu, I think. What's your favorite Vinnie Vincent Invasion song? <laughs> you can ask me that. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Ralph. Well, if I had to pick, <laughs> uh, I would say No Substitute. That's a good one. I actually like that song. Oh, uh, I look, I the the person is a piece of garbage, but uh, there's still some great songs there. Yeah. So I would say, I still say, even though the title is ridiculous, Shoot You Full of Love, I still love that fucking song. It is a good song. I was gonna. I tried to break it down, and then I thought, well, maybe I pick one from each album. So I go with Animal or Burn. That's both good. Ralph, you don't like any of the Vinnie Vincent music? I love them in Kiss. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. No, no substitute. I love the music. Look, man, Robert Fleischman's awesome. We had him on the show. Great voice too, but I, I think he just sang too high. On yeah. that, I think that it just ruined it for me. Twisted and Animal are good songs too. You know, I think they're very heavy, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It's just the the voice kind of ruins it for me. Vinnie Vincent, I I feel is extremely talented, but you know he doesn't know how to like hone in, you know, his talent to make it actually work because he fucks everything up. Right. But um, it, what he did in Kiss, forget it. Million to yeah. One, you know, uh, I can go on and on. Those two albums he did in Kiss were just phenomenal. Well, and I, I have to thank Ralph and Ian for um, showing up and filling the Vinnie Vincent gap at the 2018 <laughs> Rock and Pot Expo. <laughs> Even though Vinnie Vincent passed out in one of the fucking restaurant booths that day. Oh, that was me, yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was funny. We we all lined up and took pictures with your dead body. Yeah, I, we did. I, I believe I saw a picture of Ian putting his ass to my face. <laughs> but we were married. It was okay. <laughs> In better times. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all right. Jackson Rodding wants to know favorite lineup of a band that isn't the original lineup. If you got more than a few, that's fine too. Which what bands do you guys like that aren't the originals? Oh, Sabbath with Dio. Yeah, I think that's top of the list. But it, it, would, would it be like, uh, what band is better? I don't think better. I just think What's ones favorite? that you like, because that's uh, rare. <clears throat> Motley Crue or Karabi. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, and I know this is a weird one, but ACDC with Cliff Williams. You know, Power Age is my favorite. <laughs> is, is my favorite. Uh, you know, Power Age. And I love, you know, Let There Be Rock and High Voltage and Dirty Deeds, but... Yeah. Uh, with Cliff Williams, ACDC. I mean, I, that's the only two that spring. What was your choice again? Dio. Oh, Dio. Yeah, of Sabbath course. Dio. I, I love every era of Sabbath. Yeah. I love Ian Tony Martin and yeah. Ian Gill and Glenn Hughes. I love all that stuff. I like you know? it all, too. Yeah, yeah. me yeah. too. So any era of Sabbath other than Ozzy, because they're all and, good. And um, other than that reunion show, one of the greatest shows I ever saw in my life was Creatures of the Night. Yeah. You know, I got to bring that up. You know, uh, you know, Vinnie Vincent would kiss. I mean, that was phenomenal shit. What about um, Aerosmith with uh, Rick Dufay and Jimmy Crespo? I saw that lineup as well uh, with Journey. The only time I ever saw Steve Perry, and that was great. They were so messed up on stage, but they still played really <laughs> good. Uh, I love that. Yeah, Rock and Hard Play is a great album. Great record. Steven Tyler had a Fu Manchu uh uh, mustache and Tom wow. Hamilton during the whole show between songs would drink a straight out of Jack Daniels bottle that was on top of his amp. Those are the memories I remember of wow. that show. Yeah, I'd throw Deep Purple with Glenn Hughes and David Coverdale. Oh, era in there. oh yeah, great, great. Yeah, I Best forgot. Lineup. And even with uh, oh man, what's his name now? The guy on Come Taste the Band, great album. Uh, Bolin. Yeah. Oh, Tommy, Tommy Bowling, yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah, that's a great pick there, Aaron. I got to imagine the Eagles only got better with Joe Walsh. Oh, yeah. Um, I'd put the No More Tears era Ozzy band in there. Yeah, I like the Jake era, too, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, you got to count that one, too. There's so many you could pick. Yeah, I like Striper with Perry Richardson. Oh, yeah. Is that the new bass player? Uh-huh. Yeah, Perry's, Perry's our boy. Well, we haven't heard it yet, have we? New uh, new song comes out next Friday. I can't wait. To me, the last three Striper albums are my favorite ones. Yeah, me They're too. Great, great records. Especially The Fallen. That's my favorite Striper Yeah, album. that's the best one. I like oh, the yeah. current lineup of Faster Pussycat, too. Yeah? They've been oh. together for a long time. I think they're pretty awesome. I like Jack Russell's Great White. Um, yeah, Motley Crue with Karabi's awesome. And one of my personal favorites that nobody ever really mentions because a lot of people don't really know about this album, but I'll say the L.A. Guns with Jizzy Pearl as the lead singer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I saw Jizzy Pearl with Rat, and they were awesome. Yeah, Jizzy Pearl is so damn good that he just kind of elevates anything he's involved in. But if you ever get a chance to check out that Shrinking Violet album by L.A. Guns, it's fucking awesome, man. But it's with Jizzy Pearl singing. I'll definitely check it out. Let's see. What else you got? Oh, speaking of that kind of stuff, have you heard the new L.A. Guns song, Crawl? Leopold Lowe wants to know. 
I've heard it and I dig it. Um, I don't know. Here in this version of LA Guns and the other version, I just I just wish all the guys would get back together again. But I mean, Crawl's a pretty good song. It's a it little off the beaten path for LA Guns, but I do like it. Man, the last time I saw LA Guns, I'm being like Bob Kulik. I'm eating some. <laughs> <laughs> um, they had a guitar player. He's kind of like Asian looking. He was so good, and they fired him. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, uh, Michael, I can't remember his last name. Man, that guy was awesome. I can't believe they good fired player. him. Great really good player. Great state Yep. All right. Um, man, there's a lot of questions still here, but we're kind of getting to the end of it. Um, here's one for Ralph. Dr. Fuck, when will you start liking The Cure? How can you like Oasis but not like The Cure? Because <laughs> I like women. <laughs> I mean, they're, you they're know, not being depressed. You know? <laughs> um, look, um, I really get a bad rap for being this, you know, like, you know, elitist douchebag. <laughs> I really respect anybody that likes anything I don't like. I really do. It's like if you like The Cure, that's fine with me. I have nothing against you. But people really do get sensitive when, uh, when like, you know, for instance, I don't give a fuck if you don't like Oasis, you know. It's okay. I mean, but I love Oasis. I, don't get, I love ABBA. I love anything, you know, that. I, I go. I march to my own thing. If I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. Look, I, I listen to the Cure, and it's just like horrific to me. It's not my thing. Uh, Depeche Mode's not my thing. It's just I'm not built that way. It's not my type of music. But man, if you like it, more power to you guys. I mean, yeah, you know, a great reference point. If you listen to me say the Cure sucks, just say to yourself, "Fuck him. He likes Oasis," and yeah, you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so there you go. I like Oasis. Now I don't know how to feel about any of the things you've said today. I like I like Oasis, but I do not like The Cure. I mean, I've shame been... on you! Fuck you! <laughs> yeah, Chris, exactly. just remember, fuck, how can you fuck not him. Like he don't know. The Cure and like Oasis. What the fuck? Ugh. How do you not like either <laughs> one? Noel Gallagher is a musical genius. Yeah, that's right. Said it. Mm. All right, let's do two more. Got one from our good friend Andy Connors. The last couple of episodes has some talk about female musicians. I'd like to hear the three of you share your opinions on Concrete Blonde. Are you fans, and should the band have been bigger? I I don't know that I've ever heard one Concrete Blonde song, so I can't really answer. You have. I've heard. It's called Bloodletting. I don't know. I don't know that song. I know if I played that it for you, you'd know it. That uh-huh. wasn't the one I heard. Uh, I saw that question. I went on YouTube, and I I, I picked just one song the first song I saw, and it was pretty good. Yeah. I actually liked it. So I, I can't. I only, I, I'm only judging by one song, but it had good hooks. I liked the chick's voice. Yeah. It was good. I dug it. I've got a couple of their CDs. They're not bad. I mean, they're not... Mm, I mean, you don't go from Rat or Metallica and go to Concrete Blonde or nothing, but, I mean, they are a good band. They do write good songs. I mean, they got good guitars in the band, in the songs for the most part. Yeah, it's something definitely worth checking out, I think. And, you know, we've done a lot of talk about female artists on this show, but we haven't really ever brought up Concrete Blonde, and they're good. You should definitely check them out. All right, and our last question comes from The Matt Porter. Sammy Hagar, is the hate real, or is it just a gimmick? (laughs) <laughs> I love Matt, by the way. Yeah, we oh, all yeah. do. Uh, no, it's not a gimmick. Look, uh, you know, like, you know, when it comes to the cure and stuff, it's like, yeah, I don't like them. But 
Sammy's a little more different because Sammy <laughs> Van Halen to me is the greatest fucking American band ever. And this guy comes in and just ruins it. That's bad enough. But then his interviews, how much he keeps lying and lying and, and twisting the truth. It drives me fucking nuts. You know how, oh, we sold more bullshit. The first Van Halen album in 1984 combined sold more than the whole Van Hagar discography. He never opened for anybody since 1979. I saw him open for Journey and Aerosmith in 82, I think. You know what I mean? It's just lie after lie after lie. Oh, fuck you, Eddie Van Halen, for for saying that you had to teach Michael Anthony bass parts before a tour. In his book, he said, you know, Eddie had to teach Michael Anthony bass parts in, in, you know, before a tour. I mean, the guy is just like a fucking... I just can't stand the motherfucker. Mostly, even, I, I can't stand his interviews more than his music. And with that said, I love the first Montrose album, and I like um, Love Walks In, a really uh, sappy Van Hagar song. I like it. I like Humans Beings. Yeah. I like, um, and a song, a solo song he has that's very obscure called I Don't Need Love. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, there's some Sammy songs I like, but, you know... I, but I just can't stand him as a as a person. And yeah, you know, his lyrics just fucking make me cringe, you know? Pound cake. <laughs> you know, fuck, fuck. <laughs> Aside from that, you have no opinion. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> so Sammy Hagar is to Ralph what Vinnie Vincent is to Chris. It's no gimmick. It's real. The hate is real. All right, well. Those are some awesome questions. We, I mean, there's a bunch here. We could probably go for another couple of hours, but, I mean, that would be crazy. So, the moment has finally come, and if you guys are ready, we can do it. The game show, Ralph, you're going to get your opportunity to take on Chris, who is on a, what, the three, four-week winning streak? Three. Three-week winning streak. And you've got an opportunity to knock him off his pedestal right here on Beat the Geek. You're going down, Balboa. Uh, I'm sure I am. All right. I know everybody knows the rules, so let's just get right to it. It's Beat the Geek. So the first question goes to the Geek and the current reigning champion, undefeated for three weeks, Chris Sinzak. Your first question is this. Which of these thrash metal legends released their full-length studio album debut first? So, Ralph, I'm going to list four albums by four iconic thrash metal bands. Chris has got to figure out which one of their full-length studio albums, their full-length studio album debuts came out first. Which one of these bands came out with the first album, basically? Ralph, do you want to bet against him, or do you think he knows what it is? Uh, I'm going to say I think he knows what it is. All right, Chris, first question here. We're playing it safe. Rolf is not betting against you. Your choices are Metallica, Kill 'em All, Exodus, Bonded by Blood, Anthrax, Fistful of Metal, or Creator, Endless Pain. It's doing good till you brought up Creator. Uh, I'm going to say Metallica, Kill 'em All. That is correct. Metallica came out with Kill 'Em All in July of 83, Exodus, April of 85, Anthrax, January of 84, and Creator, October of 85. It's the first thrash album, you know, and, and I, I had a feeling Metallica was on the list. I was like, no way Chris ain't going to know that. 
<laughs> yeah, it really truly is. You look at it because you think about Anthrax, and it feels like Anthrax has been around longer than Metallica. But if you go by debut albums, not so. Nope. So, Ralph did not bet against you, but you got it correct. That's one point. Chris takes the lead. And now it's Ralph's question. Bet against me, Chris. <laughs> at a 2008 OzFest stop in Frisco, Texas. Oh, shit. The all-star Dimebag Daryl tribute of Scott Ian, Vinnie Paul, Max Cavalera, and Nick Bocott teamed up for a live cover of Pantera's A New Level. Who joined them on vocals for this performance? Chris, do you think Ralph knows it? He doesn't seem to have his poker face on unless he's throwing you off. He doesn't seem to. But Ralph's a worthy opponent, so I'm going to play it safe and not bet against him. All right, Ralph, you're not being bet against. Who sang lead vocals on a new level that beautiful day in Texas? Was it Jonathan Davis, Serge Tonkian, King Diamond, or Jamie Josta? Ooh, damn. I would say Jamie Josta, but I'm going to go with uh, the first person you said. Who was it again? The guy from Corn. Jonathan Davis. Uh, no, 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 no. I'll go with Jamie Josta. That is incorrect. Was it King Diamond? He actually joined Metallica later on that day to do a cover of uh, some Merciful Fate stuff. Yes, it was King Diamond. I am ashamed. I'm the biggest King Diamond fan. I thought you would know that. A new level? Yep. I only figure that because King Diamond lives in Texas. That's the only reason I I figured. Yeah, I knew he lived in Texas, but dude, I I, I would figure. That'd be the last person I'd pick was King Diamond. Because I figure I'd know that. And when I put that together, I was like, I know know Ralph's a big King Diamond fan. Does he know this? Is this question too easy? But I'm glad I left it in because you got it wrong. No, it's it's hard. And I can tell you what King Diamond fan I am. Uh, He joined Pantera and did uh, Bad Omens from uh, the Abigail album. He did The Ripper. I know a lot, you know, but that I never knew. And when you said OzFest, I was like, "Uh uh-oh. Because Oddfest is like, it's just a big mixed bag of new metal. So I was like, ah. damn, King Diamond, that is shocking to me. You got it wrong, but Chris did not bet against you, so no points awarded. Chris still holds the lead by one point. The question goes to Chris. According to Rudy Sarzo's book, Off the Rails, the 1983 Us Festival was the first time he'd seen Ozzy since his acrimonious split from Ozzy's band. What was Ozzy's reaction? Ralph, do you think Chris knows the answer to this? Fuck, and I know this answer. Um, uh, I'd, uh, no. Okay, you're being bet against, Chris. Your choices are Ozzy punched Rudy in the face. Ozzy mistook Rudy for Eddie Van Halen. Ozzy had Rudy removed by security. Or Ozzy accused Rudy of sleeping with Sharon. Shit, I don't even know this one. Uh, Let me say the answer if he gets it wrong. Okay. Um, I'll say he accused uh, Rudy of uh, of, of sleeping with Sharon. Ralph, is that correct? The correct answer, Ozzy punched him in the face. That is correct. Wow. Well, Ralph bet against you. You got it wrong, so Ralph gets the point. Damn. 
should get extra points for knowing the answer. We might have to work on maybe giving that some kind of opportunity. I'll do it no, now. To steal. Shows, that'll be cheating. <laughs> no, no. But not today. No, I'm just kidding. That's cool. That's cool. But, hey, that brings the score one-to-one. I mean, we're off to a slow start here, but it's staying tight. And the next question goes to Ralph. In June of 1981, the very first issue of Kerrang! magazine is published. Who's on the cover? Chris, does Ralph know who's on the cover of the very first edition of Kerrang! This is right in his wheelhouse, so I'm going to say he knows this one. All right, Ralph, you're not being bet against. Your choices are... For the very first cover of Kerrang! magazine. Is it David Coverdale, Angus Young, Alice Cooper, or David Lee Roth? I think I know this one. I don't. Um, what was the first one? David Coverdale. <laughs> I'll Ang- say David Coverdale. Because White Snake was big in Europe at the time. Chris, did you get it right? I think it's Angus Young. Chris gets it right. Ralph gets it wrong. That is incorrect. The correct answer is Angus Young, the first one on the cover of Kerrang! magazine. Chris did not bet against you, even though he probably should have. So no points awarded. The score remains one to one. Hey, Siznak, never underestimate my stupidity. (laughs) Siznak. That brings me back. Sinzak, I said. Uh It's okay, Raul. Sizzler. (laughs) Sizzler. That was my favorite. All right. Score is one to one. Chris, you're up next. Your question hey, didn't is. Did I get that, two? Oh, I thought I had two. No? You no. didn't bet against me. All right. No, he did Wait, bet now. against you. On the room. I didn't bet against Ralph. That's but you I mean. didn't bet you against didn't... him, so it's still one right. to one. Okay. Chris, your question is this. During a 2003 interview with Metal Sludge, Janie Lane referred to Don Dockin as a... you got to complete <laughs> it. How did Janie Lane feel about Don Dockin? Ralph, does Chris know the answer to this? I'd say no. All right, Chris, you're being bet against on this one. In the interview, Janie Lane referred to Don Dockin as a true living legend, arrogant, <laughs> self-absorbed prick, Stupid, lovable bastard, or once-in-a-lifetime vocalist? I'll say stupid, lovable bastard. That is correct. Wow. I would have picked two. So Chris got that one right. Ralph did not bet against you. So now the score is two to one, Chris. Total guess. That was a good guess. (laughs) All right, Ralph, your question. Typo Negative released their seventh and final studio album, Dead Again, in 2007. Which historical figure is featured on the album cover art? Chris, does Ralph know the answer? I'm going to bet against him this time. All right, Ralph, you're being bet against the cover of Dead Again, the Typo Negative album. On the cover, is it Aleister Crowley, Grigory Rasputin, Vlad Dracul or H.P. Lovecraft? Oh. Uh. Um. Damn. You need him again? Yeah. Alistair Crowley, Grigory Rasputin, Vlad Dracul, or H.P. Lovecraft? I don't know this, but I'll say Gregorian Rasputin. 
That is correct. Whoa. Oh, for fuck's sake. Hey, man, I don't deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I just pulled that. I'm not a typo fan. <laughs> That's funny. The way you guys, man, this show, I don't know if it's the way it's set up or how it works, but there's a lot of correct guessing going on in this game. I noticed this the last couple of weeks. Well, Ralph, you got it right, and Chris bet against you, so that's two points. Now Ooh, Ralph man. takes the lead, three to two. Mm. Ralph's been talking to Rock and Ron Runyon, I have a feeling. Well, he likes typo? <laughs> no, he has all the answers. Oh, yeah, I have uh, the yeah. Aaron sent me. <laughs> nah. Come on, I didn't know one of them. What was it? I forgot. All right, we got one more question for Chris. <laughs> before we get into the kiss round. So your question is this. Which album knocked Skid Row's Slave to the Grind from its number one spot on the U.S. Billboard charts in 1991? Ralph, you might know it, but does Chris I know, know it? it? I, I do know it. Hmm. Do I know it, though? Oh, that's... Um, I'll say no, so I can get a point in case he gets it wrong. All right, Chris, you're being bet against. The album that knocked Skid Row's Slave to the Grind from its number one spot in 91. Was let it, me answer it in case he gets it wrong so okay. I can tell you. Was it Van Halen for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Metallica, The Black Album, Nirvana, Nevermind, or Guns N' Roses, Use Your Illusion 2? Oh, shit, I don't know this. I thought it was another album. <laughs> I thought it was NWA. <laughs> NWA. I um... I'm trying to think of around the time these came out. Um, I'll say, I'll say Metallica, the Black Album. That is incorrect. Uh, the correct answer is Van Halen for unlawful carnal knowledge. Beat Skid, knocked Skid Row off. So fucking Hagar. Yeah, if even he got it right, I get pissed at this. Well, I mean, got it wrong. I still, I'm still pissed that Van Hagar got number one. Yeah, they sure did in 1991. Not for long though, because I think Metallica came in real quick and knocked them down. But Ralph bet against Chris. Chris gets it I'm wrong. Lose. Ralph gets the point. That brings it up four to two. But as we mm. know, and we've seen in the last few weeks, things can really change fast when it comes to the kiss round, and the kiss round is now. The question is Ralph's. Artist Ken Kelly, he's known for his creations of the covers of the Love Gun and Destroyer albums. He has also done artwork used by all of these artists, except I've got four artists here. Ken Kelly has done album artwork for three of them, but one of them is out of place. Chris, does Ralph know the answer to this? I'm going to play it safe and say he knows this one. All right, double points, two on the line right here. Ralph, your choices are Man of War, Rainbow, Molly Hatchet, Coheed and Cambria. Uh, I know he did Man of War. I don't know much about Coheed Cambria. I think he did the Rising album. I could be wrong. Um, what was the what was the other band? Man of War, Rainbow, Molly Hatchet, Coheed and Cambria. Molly Hatchet. That is correct. Yes. Really? I thought he did the fucking one with Hydra Heart on it. No, it sure looks like it. 
but no, he is uh, kind of in league with those guys, like the uh, oh, what's his name, Valeo. Yeah, I know guys the guy like that does the Molly Hatchet album covers did them all. I'm pretty sure that's why I went with that. Bargain right. bet against you, Ralph. Got it correct. It's the kiss round, so double the points. That makes the yeah. score six to two. You're good, Aaron. You're good for throwing Coheed and Cambria. Oh, his his question skills are insane. They're fun. That was good. I don't know the name of the album, but but uh, Ken Kelly did uh, album artwork for Coheed and Cambria in 2005. But they got oh, such wow. long, weird album names. I can't remember offhand what it is. All right, Chris, your turn in the KISS round. Before becoming a member of KISS, Peter Chris once flew to England to audition to be the drummer in this artist's backing band. Ralph, does Chris know the answer? Fuck. Uh, I'm going to say no. I don't know this. All right, Chris, you are being bet against. This could make a huge difference in this game. Your choices are George Harrison, Elton John, Van Morrison or Rod Stewart? Did you say George Harrison? George Harrison from the Beatles. Oh, yeah, from. Give me the choices again. George Harrison, Elton John, Van Morrison, or Rod Stewart. Obviously, he didn't get the gig, but he flew all the way to England to audition to be a backup, a, a member of the backing band for one of these four artists. See, I don't remember the, him auditioning for any of these bands, but I remember in Lydia Chris's book they said that they took in a show with Elton John. So I'm, I'll go with Elton John. I would have picked George Harrison. Elton John is the correct answer. Ooh. And since Ralph bet against you, that is one, two, three, four points. And that brings us back to a tie. What a game. Ooh. Six to this six. And I would have, I would have, I would have got that question wrong. I, I still never, got a, uh, I never knew that either. But I saw it in a couple of different places today when I was looking. I think that's incorrect. I don't know that he ever tried out for. All right, so you lose a point. <laughs> I haven't gotten in trouble yet, which I'm surprised. But I've really tried to cover my ass on these questions. But if, if that is incorrect, then somebody can let us know. But. I'm sure there's enough KISS fans out there that are probably either screaming or going, yeah, he's right. We'll figure it out. Somebody will let us know. All right, these next two questions are very important. They're the final two questions in this week's Beat the Geek as we have a tie game of 6-6. Six to six. Ralph tied up with Chris. And, Ralph, it's your question. After leaving Deep Purple, vocalist Graham Bonnet joined the Michael Shanker group for the album Assault and Attack. However, he was fired after his very first live gig with the band. What did he do at that show to get fired? Chris, does Ralph know the answer? Uh, I know he's not a big Grand Bonnet fan, but um, I'll say he knows this one. All right, Ralph, you're not being bet against. One important point on the line. Did he vomit on drummer Cozy Powell? He was accused of stealing Cram Jansen's wallet. He whipped out his cock on stage, or he spilled vodka in a Shanker's guitar. So he vomited on the drummer, stole a wallet, whipped out his cock on stage, or spilled vodka in a Michael Shanker's guitar. (sighs) 
I say he vomited on Cozy Powell. That is incorrect. Mm. He stuck his dick out. Not only did he stick his dick out, he whipped that thing around. <laughs> Damn it. That was going to be my initial one. Yep, that is it. Chris did not bet against you, but you got it wrong, so no points awarded. We remain tied 6-6. Six to six. Oh, So the, this final question is very, very important, and it goes to Chris. On July 29th, 1991, at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, the world premiere video for Enter Sandman by Metallica was played on MTV for the first time. Immediately following that, another rock band also had a world premiere video played for their new song, Name That Band. Ralph, does Chris remember the world debut that happened after Metallica's world debut in 1991? No. In case he gets it, I can win. All right, Chris, it comes down to this. Somebody's going to win on this one because Ralph is betting against you, so we're not going to have a tie here today either way. Your choices are Living Color, Mr. Big, Tough, or White Lion. Thank God for Stevie Rochelle's diaries. I'm going to say tough. That is correct. And since Ralph bent against you, that's two points. Chris wins, beat the geek once again. Final score, eight to six. What a game. I'm going to look up that Elton John, Peter Chris thing. (laughs) (laughs) Ralph's already disputing my victory. (laughs) I'm a sore loser. Oh, man, that was a tight one, though. If that's not right, then this is questionable. Oh, I'm just I remember them they went to England I think just on a vacation and they happened to see Elton John live but I don't know that he actually auditioned. See what I had read was that he did audition that was the whole reason they went but he didn't get the gig. I think they were just on vacation but I could be wrong. I'm huh. happy to win though. Well, I guess the listeners will let us know and if we got to have some kind of rematch we can always do that down the line because damn this one was <laughs> close. It literally came down to the last question. It did. That was good, though. I enjoyed it. Damn good game. Man, damn good. That one was, this was the first one where it came right down to it, where I was like, wow, this is really coming down to it. I mean, Uh Baco tied, so that was a good one, too, but this one was just as close, almost. Um, Ralph's like a fucking encyclopedia, so if I can beat him, I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Doing damn good. All right, so there you go. Unofficially, for four weeks in a row, Chris Sinzak is the geek. And he cannot be beat. And he is the champion. Very awesome. Good job, guys. Yep. Yeah, congratulations, Chris. That was awesome. Thanks. Beat me. Great. Damn, bro. I'm Great impressed. questions. Yeah, I had a good time. All you know right. I ain't no rock and roll. I ain't have no answers. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, like, rock and roll didn't get any wrong, fixed. did he? <laughs> well, man, this has been a lot of fun. It was great, guys. I really enjoyed it here. Ralph, I'm glad you're feeling thanks, better, thanks so man. Much. The world tried to kill you, but the world cannot kill Dr. Fuck. Nah, Dr. Fuck does the fucking. I <laughs> fuck the people. They don't fuck me. <laughs> so uh, check out the uh, Almost Human 56 page on YouTube, correct? Dude, didn't you just go over 100 million views? Yeah, 10 million. 10, 10 million, million views today. Well, I think today, last I checked. Uh, and last uh, while in the hospital. Uh, I just passed 17,000 subscribers, so hell That's yeah. Awesome. 
So cool, man. Badass. Yeah, and it's doing it's doing amazing. Uh my channel was initially only KISS and I just got sick of it, so <laughs> I knew I was taking a chance uh changing it and I thought I was gonna lose a lot of people by doing that, but I didn't. I actually gained more subscribers blending in other bands and yeah, I lost a couple, you know, tards, but hey man, that's a plus. <laughs> that's why we that's why we stick to July for KISS stuff. I'm very proud. Uh, it's doing so well. And uh, so, so many people on that page are just so awesome. And um, I haven't done a video since uh, I've been out, but I plan on doing something now to let them all know, hey, I'm alive, because I keep getting, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, oh, man, I want to do something, but I should rest. But now I can do it, because you guys revitalized me. That's right. We're the buffer. <laughs> You're safe. You're good to go now. Well, not really. I just lost this uh, this damn game, so I'm feeling kind of <laughs> Oh, you'll get over it. <laughs> well, let me say, um, you know, I know Rock and Metal Combat is not a thing anymore, but uh, as the organizer of Rock and Pod, you guys were instrumental in getting Rock and Pod where it is today, oh, yeah. and we're going strong into 2021. And you guys did a great job. Your listeners were great. And thank you so much for everything you've done for me and for the expo. I really appreciate it. Right on, dude, and uh, you're very welcome, and I I know a lot of the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff, and you really busted your ass to make it happen, and, and I'm very proud of you, and I'm proud of how successful it got, you know, and, you know, very thankful to give uh, me and Ian that platform, because it was great, especially, I, I, I like the first one, the best one, everybody ran out in horror. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> People were outraged. <laughs> Yeah, Ch- yeah, our awesome. buddy uh, Chad Lee was ready to murder both of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there were people actually doing shows during our, and I kept yelling, I fucked your mom! <laughs> yeah. And they're like, God damn it. <laughs> Man, that a, first rock a, and pot will always be special. Yeah, yep. there was like a, a real Wild West feel to that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a little out of control there for a little bit, but, you know, that's because, uh, it's the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are uh, very, very dysfunctional guys. Two very dysfunctional guys that, come on, man, it had to crash and burn. There's no way around it, you know? Yeah. We're like the sex pistols of the podcasting. You know? <laughs> That's very well said. That makes so much sense. <laughs> cool, awesome. Man. Well, thank you, Ralph. Thank you so much, guys. And, you know, I always listen to you guys and uh, and say hi to the Mooger Fooger. <laughs>
NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points. 